This film is lit. The podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. A tale of fencing, fighting, torture, revenge, giants, monsters, chases, escapes, true love, miracles, and a revisit to our very first episode and one of our favorite films. If that doesn't sound too bad, try to stay awake. It's The Princess Bride, and this film is lit. Hello, and welcome back for the 100th time. Well, more than that if you count prequel episodes. But to the 100th <laughs> main episode of this film is lit. Uh, we're returning to our very first episode that we ever did. Yeah. Of this film is lit. We recorded one terrible episode of a podcast that we never did anything with and we won't talk about. <laughs> uh, it was also about movies, but very different and very dumb. And we... <laughs> It wasn't dumb. It wasn't dumb. It just wasn't as good of a concept. No, it was just a it much worse. It didn't utilize our skill. It didn't utilize our skill set as, much set as, this, as one this does. Like the, the way this one does, and and looking back was vaguely problematic, but uh, <laughs> not really. But like now, I now I have to explain what it was. I guess because now people will be like, yeah, what? No, like, yeah. Uh, there, it was a, it was a, it was a podcast where. Uh, and very briefly, because we have a lot to get to. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was called Film Filmer Up. I don't even remember uh, where yeah, it that's was. What it was called, uh, which is a dumb name, uh, especially compared to this film. <laughs> uh, where you had not seen when we found out. I found we found out very early in our relationship that you had seen very few movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in terms of like classic, like you know. Things like uh, Back to the Future and right. Jurassic Park and blah, blah, blah. Like big tentpole yeah, movies I, that a lot I, of people I have seen. Yeah, a fairly sheltered childhood right. and don't tend to stray far from my favorites. And so our original idea was was having you kind of watch and talk about, watch those movies for the first time and talk about them kind yeah. of coming in fresh. And that idea of like somebody going through, that, that experience of going through somebody's first time watching all these sort of classic films. And while it, I think the premise isn't terrible, there's also a weird, the reason I said it was problematic, I think there's a weird inherent, like it's that weird inherent grossness of like, especially a guy being like, you haven't seen this yeah. movie. Sit down. We're watching Pulp Fiction. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, there's a, there's an inherent weirdness to it. So I'm glad we decided it was a bad idea because this is a much better idea. <laughs> But anyways, that was that was our abandoned, and it was Back to the Future was the. It was Back to the Future, about. and I don't even. And we had trouble recording it because I was very uncomfortable, yes. like talking about. Yeah, well, it was what your I first thought. time talking. Yeah. I think if we did the same thing now, it would be much better because yeah, you're I much agree. more comfortable, you know, yeah. talking on a microphone and stuff. It was your first time with any of that, and so yeah. But uh, it was that was a, a fun little. Uh, failed attempt but uh like i said we're returning to the princess bride uh this time we both read it uh the first time katie read it uh i watched the movie i've seen this movie maybe the most of any movie i've ever seen yeah it's got to be up in the top five of movies i've ever seen like number of times mm-hmm. gotta be for you right too yeah i think so yeah well, yeah i mean there's a lot of disney movies oh, that i've okay, seen yeah. like <laughs> probably in the triple i'm gonna digits, say but... from <laughs> After the age of like ten, 
this uh-huh. is probably the movie I've seen the most times. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure there was some movie I watched every day for like a year when I was eight or something, you know, like a little right. kid. But anyways, not important. Uh, so uh, this time we both read it. We both uh, watched it again. Uh, and we're going to break down. This is going to be very similar to our summer series episodes. We're just going to go sort of bit by bit through the entire thing, say what we liked more about the movie, what we liked more about the book. We don't have most of our normal segments. I say most. We don't have Was That in the Book. We don't have Lost in Adaptation. We don't have Guess Who. Uh, We did have most, or at least Guess Who, in the original episode. Yes, we did. If you wanted to go back and listen to that. Yeah. Uh, But we did not have... I don't remember what all segments we had. I didn't I didn't re-listen to the episode you did. <laughs> I did. I did, and it was 58 minutes of pure torture. We had most of our, like, quote-unquote regular segments. Yeah. We just weren't calling them oh, the okay. things that we call them now. Interesting. But, I remember but, but so little about had, it. We still had segments that were, like, the same kind of general right. concept. Like, I preferred this about the book and this yeah. about the movie. Um, we had a segment where you asked questions. Yeah. Etc. Etc. Yeah, similar ideas. I, I knew we had most of the similar segments, but just slightly different, and we kind of have refined it as we've gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know one thing I know we didn't have was the movie nailed it because we didn't add that until yeah we didn't add that till our, our Harry Potter yeah series, quite a ways in, yeah, yeah. Uh, we had done quite a few episodes by the time we added that so anyways that that's the main three segments today we got better in the book better in the movie and the movie nailed it and then some odds and ends uh, but before we get to all that in case you're one of the people and it's totally fine if you are who hasn't seen. <laughs> The Princess Bride. Let's do, uh, for the first time ever, let me sum up, introduced by the quote from the movie that we're doing the segment. It's very meta. This is very (laughs) meta. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. All right. So I worked myself almost to tears trying to summarize this movie. So here we go. Wesley and Buttercup live on a small farm in the country of Florin, where they eventually fall deeply in love. Wesley leaves to seek his fortune, but is murdered by pirates. Buttercup vows to never love again. Five years later, Buttercup finds herself forced into an engagement with Prince Humperdinck, the future ruler of Florin. While out on her daily horse ride, Buttercup is kidnapped by a trio intent on murdering her in order to start a war between Florin and the neighboring country Gilder. Giant Fezzik, fencing master Inigo, and mastermind Vizzini. While sailing to Gilder, they are pursued by a mysterious man in black who one by one defeats all three kidnappers. Eventually, the man in black reveals himself to be Wesley, back from the dead, and now the dread pirate Roberts. Wesley and Buttercup almost get away, but are confronted by Prince Humperdinck and his men. Buttercup leaves with Humperdinck in a bid to save Wesley, but Humperdinck has him thrown in the pit of despair and tortured by Count Rugen, eventually killing him. Meanwhile, Fezzik and Inigo decide that they need Wesley to help them break into the castle so that Inigo can kill Count Rugen and avenge his murdered father. They take his body to Miracle Max, who brings Wesley back to life with a miracle pill. The trio storms the castle. Inigo has his revenge. Wesley rescues Buttercup and humiliates the villainous prince, and they all ride away into the sunset. I'm not sure you could have written a better <laughs> summary or synopsis of this movie. That's fa- Thank spot you. on. It's expertly delivered, expertly. Wor- no, that's a perfect. Yeah, if somebody had never seen the movie, they may have now seen the movie. Like, well, not seen, obviously. 
There's so much more. But like, yeah, there's a lot. More. That is all of the relevant plot points. You did an excellent job. Very well done. All uh, right. Yeah. There's also a frame story, but it's <laughs> yes. not really important. There is like, a frame the, story, the, but the it's story proper. The, yeah, it's, it, it, we'll talk about the frame story quite a bit over the course of the episode. So uh, we'll get to that. Uh, we're going to get to our first segment in a second. I want to preemptively apologize. I guarantee at one point during this episode, I will do Inigo's voice. And I just want to preemptively apologize for doing a bad Spanish accent. I'm going to try <laughs> to not. I'm going to try to remind myself not to do it. But it almost assuredly will happen. And I would just like to apologize ahead of time if that does happen. All right, let's get into our first segment, Better in the Book. You like to read? Oh, yes, I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. So we talked about how this story has, uh, this book has a frame story, both the book and the movie have a frame story, Mm -hmm. uh, which is... The book's frame story is very complicated. Or not complicated. There's a lot more going on in the yeah, book's frame Yeah, there are a story. lot more layers yes. to it than there are in the movie. Um, but the essential element that the movie takes is, in the movie, we have the grandfather reading a story to a sick grandson. Mm-hmm. And in the in the book, the element of the, the frame story that that's pulling from is William Goldman, the author of The Princess Bride, recants a tale of his father, reading his father reading the princess bride to him when he was sick as a boy um so that's the equivalent there's some there's other layers of that which we'll talk a little bit more at different times later uh especially in my odds and ends i have some notes about the preface and stuff which has other yeah other things but um one of the elements of it that i thought was really funny was uh one of the other elements of the book that's not included in the movie is william goldman getting his son to read the princess bride right uh at, because he's recounting he's recalling how he it was read to him by his father and he asked he's away on a business trip and he he gets the book for his son as like a birthday present and wants his son to read it and there's this line that i thought was really great not even from a father to son relationship but just anybody who's ever shared anything they love with another person <laughs> this line really cracked me up uh goldman uh speaking to his wife uh about his son reading the book says uh, have him read the book. Tell him he doesn't have to like it or anything, but if he doesn't, tell him I'll kill myself. <laughs> Which I love that the... It's a very... It feels very accurate to the emotions you go through in sharing something you love yeah. with another person. It's like, oh, you don't have to like it or anything, but if you don't like it, I, I, I don't know what I'll do. Like, I, I, will be, I will be miserable forever if you don't love this thing that I also like, love. I no longer trust you as a person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so Buttercup, uh, once we get into the story proper, the actual The Princess Bride, uh, we get some back. We get some more backstory with uh, there's a lot more buildup with Wesley and Buttercup's relationship. Yes. Um, and we get a little bit more backstory on Buttercup uh, and her relationship with her parents and all that sort of stuff. And one of the things that I thought was really funny in the book that doesn't necessarily it's kind of translates in the movie, but is how much of a horse girl buttercup is the movie the movie plays it real cool real cool the movie's like oh she loved riding her her favorite part of her day was riding her horse riding that horse she's the book she's a horse girl full-on horse girl full-on horse girl yeah and one of the lines the the exact line that she says that it quoted in the book is she says to her parents at one point they're like oh don't you want to try dating or something like that and she says to her parents I do not care about the boys. Horses love me, and that is quite sufficient. Thank you. 
<laughs> which is such a great horse girl line. It's fantastic. Um. So we get that additional backstory with them, um, and we see how their relationship has built up and mm-hmm. kind of come to be. And there is a point where they both confess their love to each other. And I like it. You had it in a different segment. I did, yes. But I, I like I like the, the love confessions. Yeah. It's like two separate speeches from yes. each of them. I don't dislike it. It's a li- I found it a little long and meandering and meh. And I, th- I think the thing that, for me, and I, it's very tough because I, I think the movie is almost so perfect that adding anything to and and when i say adding to it obviously the book came first and the movie is subtracting from the book essentially but in in reading the book after having seen the movie so many times it feels like this added fluff that's not necessary because i watching the movie i felt like i got everything i need um and i i just think in the movie it's so the script is so tight at the beginning and and the main reason i think it works so well is because of the score which to be fair the book doesn't have a score right and so that doesn't translate as well but the performances the cinematography and the score in the opening 5 or 6 minutes in the movie where we get the buttercup wesley relationship and you know and then him leaving mm-hmm. uh and and the love confession and all of that happens so quickly and so <sighs> perfectly the performances are so good and capture this this infatuation so well that you don't need like a long dialogue exchange i think the book is more true to like life like like if that were to happen like these big sort of long at least a little bit like longer sort of expressions of love is what would be realistic but the movie can just shorthand that by giving us this sweeping score Mm-hmm. And these, you know, the looks on their faces yeah. and, and these these super cinema, uh, um, cinematic shots of like sunset them in the sunset. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I No, I agree with you. I, I don't necessarily think it would be better if the movie added those like longer right. soliloquies. But I, I do like reading them. And, and I think you're right about like, you know, the movie can shorthand that through the score, through the cinematography. Um, and we get to see the actors like longingly gazing yeah. at each other. Right. Um, and you can really feel that emanating off the screen. So yeah. we don't necessarily need their love confessions. And I, I think it also helps the, the movie is helped by like the type of story it is and the way that it's being told. Absolutely. I don't just, like yeah. we can buy that. They're just in love. That's fine. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I, I think that the book's way the book's way works for a it's one of those things where the book's way works for a book, the yeah. movie's way works for a movie, neither would work the other way. Yeah. I think I, I, I just like the movie version because I, I found some of the I just found it a little long winded in the book, I guess, is the only thing. Um personally. But it's not it wasn't a big it wasn't a big thing. So it wasn't like a big negative or anything like that. So uh, one of the things that I thought was really and, and we talked about it, I think, a little bit in the prequel about how William Goldman's writing style is a little reminiscent of like Douglas Adams or Terry Pratchett. Yeah. Uh, in his sort of dry, witty sort of. It's it's yeah, it's dry, witty. The author is very much a character. Yes. It's very the book, self-aware the and meta, yeah. you know, and, and that sort of thing. And I did really enjoy the asides that we get in the parentheticals, mm-hmm. uh, both in the parentheticals and uh, in the, he has these inserts of um, there's inserts italicized, of italicized text. There are footnotes here and there. 
throughout the book. Um, he uses all of those different devices to yeah. kind of speak to the reader as the author slash narrator. Yeah, and you had a similar note about this exact thing. And I have a couple examples that I want to read, but go ahead and talk about what you had there for a second. Yeah, like going off of that, something that I enjoyed in the book that doesn't and I think wouldn't translate to a movie are part of what he does with those parentheticals are these kind of nonsensical like little asides about the point at quote unquote history that yeah. this story the story is story used to, to, supposed to be taking place at yeah. like where he'll say things like this was after Paris, but before Europe. Yeah. Like, and it just makes no sense, yeah. but it works. Yeah. I'll, I'm going to read a really brief little segment here that has like several of these mm -hmm. in a row here, which is the main, including the Paris part. Uh, and this is a part that's not in the movie actually, which we'll talk about here in a, in a later segment. The Countess was considerably younger than her husband. All her clothes came from Paris. This was after Paris. And she had superb taste. This was after taste, too, but only just. And since it was such a new thing, and since the Countess was the only lady in all Florin to possess it, it is, is it any wonder she was the leading hostess of the land? Eventually, her passion for fabric and face paint caused her to settle permanently in Paris, where she ran the only salon of international consequence. Uh, cutting ahead a little bit. If her face was, was less than divine, it was hard to tell once she got done applying substance, substances. This was before glamour, but if it hadn't been for ladies like the Countess, there would never have been a need for its invention. So there's lots of little asides like that throughout the course of the book, mainly in the beginning. Yeah. But, but, um, but there's a handful of them throughout that are a little like, yeah, before Paris, but uh, yeah, after the invention of taste, like these weird little yeah asides that don't. Yeah, and it really does makes feel, sense. Yeah, very in in vain of like a Douglas Adams or a Terry Pratchett. Yeah, kind of a thing. Yeah, it's a, it's that feel. Uh, it's it, where it, it's it takes you out of the story you're reading to comment on the story you're reading in a humorous way yeah. that 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 draws attention to the fact that this is all like that it's ridiculous. Yeah, like, it's really a little ridiculous. Like it's not taking itself too seriously. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we'll we'll talk more about the prince. In, in many different segments uh, mm -hmm. of this book, because there's things in the, he's a very different character in the book. Totally in the movie. different. Um, he, he has most of the same beats, but he's a very different, like in terms of like the actual plot, his beats are very similar, but his character feels very different. And I have a note about it in a later, in the better in the movie segment. Um, but one of the things that I thought a little detail that is really interesting that I think would actually still work with the movie version of Prince Humperdinck is there's this line and I, I, it's, it's a line that is read by the narrator. So I don't know how you work it into the movie. Maybe Rugen would say it or something, but there's a line in the book where the narrator says he made it uh, about the prince. He made it a practice never to let a day go by without killing something. Yeah. <laughs> and it's uh, that ties into the, the zoo of death, which we'll talk about at length in different parts coming up. But I, I think that, that idea of, of this hit. And I think it works for book. It works for the book version really well, but I think it would even work for the movie version of Humperdinck. Mm -hmm. um, this idea of just, he always, every day he, he needs to kill something to exert his dominance. It's part of his, it's part of his weakness really is, is this need yeah, to the, be yeah, seen as powerful and need to powerful and a need to be dominant. Yeah, yeah. All of these things. And, and, and again, we'll get into the subtleties of the difference between the two characters later, but I think, I like that line a lot in the book about him. Uh, also, speaking of the zoo of death, which again, we'll get to one of the things that is described as being in the zoo of death, which in the movie, the pit of despair is the zoo of death minus the zoo. Yeah, basically, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> um, but there's a, a descriptions of all the creatures that are in this zoo of death that the prince keeps. Uh, and uh, one of the things is shrieking tarantulas, which 
I let. I'm glad it's not in the movie. And I think this is the thing you even said in the first one. It's this rung familiar to me when I mm-hmm. was writing this note was that the idea of shrieking tarantulas. No, thank you. I hate spiders already. And the idea of them shrieking, not a fan. Um, and then one of the other things is that I don't know if this would work for movie Humperdinck, but there's a scene in the book early on when we're introduced to the zoo of death, which is where the prince goes to to murder things every day. It's just mm-hmm. a, it's a zoo full of exotic, deadly animals that he goes into to, to hunt and kill things. Um, and one of the things when we're first introduced to the prince that we see him do is he like breaks the neck of an orangutan yeah which is like really dark and and yeah. terrifying like really horrible horrible because again like a primate like it's you know it's um it's one thing to be like hunting like birds and it's a very different <laughs> thing to be breaking the neck of because he's like wrestling an orangutan and then yeah. like snaps its neck and kills it and it's really yeah it's dark and weird and it's because the prince is a much darker more terrifying character in the in the book than he is in the movie and I don't know if it's better in the book again because I don't. I'm glad it's not in the movie, <laughs> but I, yeah, I don't. I don't think it would. I don't think that specific thing would work. No, for the movie's no, version. No, I, I agree. So the 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 didn't doesn't let a day go by without killing something. I think works for movie Humperdinck without changing his character. Yes. I think he still works. Yeah. But I think wrestling and breaking the neck of an orangutan doesn't really work. No, I think movie Humperdinck would not be so hands-on. I think I also don't think he would fight anything that would have the chance to actually kill him. I agree. I think movie Humperdinck only would would hunt things that can't like like that can't fight back essentially yeah. or 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 that even if they can fight back like he can shoot them from you know like he might hunt like a a a, a lion or something but he would shoot it with a bow from yes a million miles away not like wrestle it or something like that whereas book humperdinck will like wrestle lions and stuff cuz he's crazy <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Humperdinck, there's we get a lot a lot of his backstory. We get a lot more building of his character in the in the book uh, and who he is. And again, I actually prefer his character in the movie. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that later. But one of the things in the book that I thought was an interesting little sort of character building moment is there's a discussion of him trying to find a bride. Right. And he, his, yeah, his father is in ailing health, so he's got to get married yes. so he can provide an heir right. for the kingdom. And he has this dinner with a, a princess from a, some she, other. She's the princess of Gildar, I is think. She? Yeah. Oh, I think you might be right. I think her name's Annette or something like that. No. Or is uh, that a different? Um, that was the the maid from the very beginning of the story, mm. which we'll talk about. Her name starts with an N. It doesn't I don't matter. Remember. It's not. It's not super important. Yeah, it's not really important. But there's this whole story about. Um, they they go to dinner and and I don't remember all the details, but uh, they have this big dinner together and then eventually and she's wearing all these over the course of the evening yeah. she's wearing all these different she's fancy like hats. Famous for her hats, yes. she always has the best hats. And then ultimately um, he finds out and I don't remember. Does it fall? Uh, I think a wind blows through. Yeah, I somehow don't remember exactly how this all transpires because I read this it's at the, like very, at the beginning very beginning of the book beginning and I read this book, like over yeah. a week ago. Um, <laughs> so, but but her wind or something blows her hat off and it's revealed that the reason she wears all these hats is that she's bald. Yeah. And he has this big reaction. It's like, I can't marry a bald. Yeah, he know, has a big temper tantrum about it. Temper tantrum it. about it because he actually seems like it's it's going well until that moment and then he's like, I can't marry because and, and his, his reasoning isn't that he doesn't like her, that, that he doesn't find it attractive. It's that what would other people say about yeah. 
about like, me so marrying. Like people will mock you yeah, if you have, if a, bald you have a bald wife. Yeah. Uh, again, laying bare his insecurities and his. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's extra funny too. And I wonder if the reason that the illustrator made this choice, the illustrator for this 30th anniversary edition, because it's nowhere in the text, but he's drawn bald. In the book. Oh yeah, yeah he is. He is. He yeah. is. You're right because it isn't in the. It is not in the text. No, it's at all. not in the text that he's bald, but. Uh, yeah, whoever um, Michael illustrated the. Ooh, I don't know how to say that last name. Michael Manamivable. <laughs> Wait, let me see it. Oh my goodness, Manomivable. Yeah, Manomivable. But yeah, there's illustrations throughout the 30th anniversary, like here mm-hmm. and there. And yeah, he is portrayed as like a big bald guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is interesting. I didn't think about that. Ultimately, he does end up landing on Buttercup mm-hmm. as his bride to be, and they have this exchange where, uh, and we get a little bit of this in the movie, I, th- I feel like, but not not much. We get a little bit of it from like Buttercup's. Well, the end. movie says that the law of the land gave him the right yeah, to it, cho- to choose his bride, and the narrator, the grandfather, says, "But she did not love him, or yeah. something like that." So there's this implication that she didn't really have much of a choice in it. Um, but it is much more like explicit how much of a choice she did not have in the, the book. That and I really like in the book that they just have a discussion and he does essentially force her to like when he comes to her and is like, I, yeah. you know, I, I'm proposing to you and uh, they have a discussion about it. And I, I love that there is it's very practical. And, and they because she, she she's made this vow that she'll never love again because of Wesley losing Wesley and that sort of thing. And, and this little last exchange that they have, she says to him, I'll never love you. And he said, I wouldn't want it if I had it. And she says, then by all means, let us marry. And it's just like this very matter of fact, like, all right, yeah, fine. <laughs> like, sure, whatever. I mean, I guess I'm not going to love anybody anyway. So what does it matter if I marry you? Like, it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't really. The, the funny thing is that he doesn't seem to care either, which we ultimately kind of get that vibe. Like the movie does it very like without having that conversation. We kind of get that feeling from mm-hmm. the events that transpire. But I, I did kind of like that little conversation in the book. Um, but I don't want to I don't want to break off without explaining what I was alluding to as well um which is that when he initially proposes to her she rebuffs him at first mm-hmm. she's like ah, no thanks yes and he's basically like look you can either agree to marry me or you can be dead by tomorrow yeah so yes yeah he, he isn't like i'll just fuck, i'll kill you <laughs> i'll kill you <laughs> yeah but in order to marry him she has to be uh, a royalty or yeah. uh whatever right like a which lady. The, the movie glosses over and yeah. she's just like introduced as the princess buttercup which is fine we yeah. don't need we an don't explanation need for it but i like the explanation that we get in the book which is that a bunch of the other like nobility put up a fuss so they just like title her yeah they name her the princess of this little like principality that's owned by the king that nobody even knows. Yeah. Like, it's, it's like a She's it's the like princess of Hammersmith. Yeah, it's some yeah Hammersmith. It's some backwater bog or something, yeah. you know, that nobody lives in or whatever. It's just like ah, oh, yeah. just like yeah, oh, we'll just title yeah. you. It's fine. Yeah, I love that. And that is a very. Um, it feels very. Is very bureaucratic, like accurate, like bureaucratically mm-hmm. accurate, <laughs> little like. And it, I love too that so part of the conceit with the book, the way that Goldman wrote it, is that he's abridging it from S. Morgenstern. Yes, the original was written by S. Morgenstern. Yes. 
And originally it was this very long kind of dry political satire. Yes. The and whole thing, the whole point of the whole thing was this political satire and, and, and a, uh, like a, a send up of royalty and mm-hmm. the monarchy and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Um, but he wants to abridge it down to basically just like the adventure love story, right. which is what we get in the movie and yeah, the book. And the book, yeah. Um, but I love that, like, that little tiny bit of satire will come through yeah, every, every now, now and, and then. then. And that like, is, yeah, yeah, with little bits like this. Yeah, that's definitely one of those moments. So moving quite ahead quite far, uh, Buttercup or, is kidnapped and then. Uh, uh, she tries to make her escape. She jumps off the boat with mm-hmm. uh, that the Vizzini and them have her in, um, and she's swimming away. And there's a little detail that scene overall. I we'll talk about later. But uh, there's a little detail that's in the book that I thought was really wild. Is that uh, so? In the book, she's threatened by sharks, not eels. Not right. that it really matters. It could be eels. It could be either. In this moment, would still work. But in the book, Vizzini uh, <laughs> cuts himself mm-hmm. uh, and bleeds into a goblet. And it's like telling her, he's like, I'm going to throw this blood in the water and the sharks are going to come eat you. Yeah. And then he does it. <laughs> and I just like, it's a real wild moment because she thinks he's bluffing. Like she can't see because she's just swimming and she can't see right. them. She just hears them yelling at him at her. And uh, but he actually does it. He actually slices his you know hand open or something and like dumps blood in the water. And I thought that would I don't know if it necessarily it's one of those moments that again that I'm not sure if it necessarily works with movie Vizzini. Yeah. But it's, it's a fun little. Thing. It's maybe a little dark. Yeah, not even dark so much as this. The right I just word. don't think Vizzini's that kind of guy. Yeah. Like in the book again from the movie Vizzini that we get, who's a little different than book Vizzini. I have a note about it. I don't think he's the kind of guy who's gonna like slice his arm open. No, I don't think so d- either. To do that, he's just yeah he's gonna he's gonna taunt her and like yell at her and try to like talk her into coming back through his masterful intellect and and command of you know his ability to like emotionally manipulate people like that's what he thinks he's right. good at so that's what he's gonna do he's, he doesn't he wouldn't think movie Vizzini wouldn't think he had to resort to like cutting himself and bleeding <laughs> and the you know like that's 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 too much for movie Vizzini so also while they're in the boat when they first notice uh, the man in black. Well, they don't know it's the man in black yet, but they see a boat see following a boat, yeah. them. Um, and in the movie, we get Vizzini's line about, uh, it's probably just a, a local fisherman out for a pleasure cruise yeah. in the middle of the night. Yeah. Where he makes this kind of like weird, he like reasons his way around yeah. the idea that somebody could possibly be trying to thwart them. It's inconceivable. Yeah, inconceivable. And in the book, we get another one of those. When they that start I love. climbing the rope. When yeah. they start climbing the rope at the cliffs of insanity and he starts up the rope after them um and i don't have the exact line but he says something like well he's a local fisherman who obviously also has a passion for mountain climbing yeah. he's definitely not following <laughs> definitely us, not though. following us he's just loves sailing it's a huge coincidence and loves climb. he saw the rope and he's like i'm gonna climb that <laughs> yeah yeah it's, 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 it, 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 it's one of those lines that I think would actually work really well in the movie too. Yes. I think movie Vizzini, it's the kind of thing he would say, and it would be a, another like funny little joke. Um, and so it is a little disappointing that they didn't include that. So one of the big things that the movie cuts, uh, and it makes sense and you don't really need it, but it is nice is the backstories of uh, both Inigo and Fezzik. Mm-hmm. 
and the first one we get when they get to the top of the cliff and they're waiting for uh, and Inigo's waiting for Wesley to get to the top of the cliff. Uh, we get we we cut to an aside and we get Inigo's backstory, uh, yeah. or, or like the important element of his backstory, um, where we get uh, his his childhood growing up with his father in in Spain and his father is this mythical sword maker. In fact, he's it's it's funny how it's introduced. His father's not. Not like he in the movie, he says, like, my father was like a master sword maker or something mm-hmm. like that, which is true. But in the book, it's even beyond that. Like there's a master sword maker named Yesti. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Um, who's like the, the, the most famous sword maker in the world. Yeah. But when Yesti gets a a, a conscription, like a, a job that is like beyond his skill, he hikes up into the mountains and finds Domingo Montoya and has him do it because (laughs) Domingo doesn't actually like, like making sword. Not that he doesn't like making swords, but he, he only wants to make like, he's like a true artist. He's a true hermit creative. Yes. He's, he's a true, uh, uh, yeah. artisan. And he only wants like the biggest of challenges. He doesn't like making, he doesn't want to make a sword with, you know, with, with, uh, he doesn't, he doesn't want to make normal swords. normal swords. He doesn't want to make a sword with like some rich assholes, girlfriend's name encrusted in diamonds on it. Like he (laughs) wants like a challenge. And so like whenever he gets these crazy challenges, he brings it to Domingo, Montoya, which is why ultimately the six fingered man sword is made by him is because this challenge of making a sword for a man with six fingers is is a unique challenge that right. you know because it's got to be made differently than a sword for a man with five fingers. And I like, I really enjoy uh, the when he comes to ask Domingo to make when Yesti comes to ask Domingo to make the the six fingered sword. Uh, we get this exchange and Inigo's like sitting there listening as a child um, and we get this back and forth and, and I really like the the banter between them. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's and a fun scene. It's a fun scene. I get why it's cut. It's not really important. Uh, and again, we get the most important parts in the movie, but it's a really fun little scene of back and forth and, and sort of trying to coax him into making this. And then ultimately, um, I don't know, what is it ultimately that gets him to do it? That's what it is. He threat. Yes, he threatens to kill himself. Ah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like a big show, and Inigo know. Yeah. Like it's very clear from Inigo's sort of narration of this that it's, and it's not really Inigo narrating, but it, it's very clear that it's like he's not. But it's like this big show, this big thing they do mm-hmm. every time. Where yeah, he you refuses, get, you he get refuses. the vibe that this is like the script that yes. they work off of. They work every off time. every time. It's he refuses eight million times, and then finally, Yesti threatens to stab himself through the heart, and then ultimately, Domingo relents and is like, "Sure, fine, I'll do it." And uh, I, again, it's not super important, but it's a fun scene, and I would have liked. It's one of those moments that or it's one of those things that were sort of, God forbid, if this is ever made, remade, yeah. um, if it was done in like a TV show or something and, and they expanded it, you know, if right. it was like an eight episode, you know, eight hour thing. This is one of those scenes that I would like to see in one of the early mm-hmm. episodes. But anyways, so once Domingo uh, Inigo's father finally accepts the job to make the six fingered sword. It's a year of him trying to make this sword. Mm-hmm. And I I couldn't help but identify a little bit with sort of the trials and tribulations <laughs> of the creative. He, it's this constant back and forth of uh, some nights Inigo would awake to see him dancing. What is it, father? Is that I have found my mistakes, corrected my misjudgments. Then it will be done soon, father. It will be done tomorrow and it will be a miracle. 
But the next night, more tears. What is it now, Father? The sword, the sword. I cannot make the sword. But last night, Father, you said you had found your mistakes. I was mistaken. Tonight, I found new ones, worse ones. I am the most <laughs> wretched of creatures. Say you wouldn't mind if I killed myself to end this existence. But I would mind, Father. I would love you. Yeah. A whole year of that. A year of the handle being right, but the balance being wrong. Of the balance being right, but the cutting edge being too dull. Of the cutting edge sharpened, but that threw off the balance again. And again, as somebody in, you know, as a, it, it's one of those very identifiable struggles of mm-hmm. of just n- <laughs> never quite being able to get things to your liking. Little detail. But I, 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 sorry that so many of my notes are in a row here. I feel like I'm talking a lot. It's fine. <laughs> um, uh, Inigo scars in the book are described, in my opinion, are not that there's a scar should look a certain way, but in the move or in the book, I feel like his scars are like more badass than they are in the yeah. movie. Well, I feel like, I mean, they're not described per se. They, the, 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 Are they? How, yes. Uh, to some extent. Uh, I don't have the page. Because they're, they're a little bit subtle in the movie. They're ju- on the movie, they're just like two inches long on each cheek. Yeah. In the Whereas in the book, well, you're looking for the description. Yeah, I don't but know if I'm going to be able to find it. At but. several points throughout the book, people comment on the fact that he's like all scarred up. So you know it's something that's pretty noticeable. Here we go. Uh, and in a, this is after this is during the flashback when uh, the Count Rugen gives him the scars. And Inigo's face began to bleed. Two rivers of blood poured from his forehead to his chin, mm. one crossing each cheek. Uh, everyone watching knew it then. The boy was scarred for life. So in my mind, when I read that, I'm envisioning f- scars from. Above his eye, like all the way down yeah, towards so, his mouth, so a lot longer, a lot longer, like yeah. and, and like more like kind of like if anybody's played The Witcher, <laughs> or <laughs> he has like a big, you know, those like the traditional like over the eye scar. Uh-huh. That's what I envision reading that is mm-hmm. like that scar that goes from the above that like like it says the forehead down, whereas in the book in the movie they're just kind of like a couple inches long on each cheek. Mm-hmm. It's fine. It's it, I don't have a problem, with it, but it's just. Like I think he would look real badass yeah. <laughs> with like the longer scars that the 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 book I, I feel like evokes, but whatever. I imagine. I I mean, I would wonder if they didn't want to do like a massive, complicated scar makeup on him for every single day of filming. That is fair. The the like, movie ones are to, much yeah, easier, and it, have to get it the exact same way every yes. single day because he's in a lot of the movie like yeah yeah, it's not like he's just in a scene or something no absolutely that's a good point is that the the movie's version of the scars would be very quick and easy to apply yeah whereas uh, not that it would be a whole lot but it would be harder and it would be especially if they did go over the eye that would be a much more involved yeah just having them on the cheek is a lot easier so i that's a that's a very very fair point um so flashing back now uh or flashing forward back to the 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 fight Right, the actual duel. The actual duel between Wesley and Inigo. Almost all of my notes for this are in other sections. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have one note, and I think we talked about this in the original episode, but I don't know or not. Uh, it's kind of fun, but I have one negative in the whole... It's one of my... It's one of, if not my favorite sword fight in any movie ever. It's one of my favorite scenes in any movie ever. Mm-hmm. That, like, six minutes or whatever it is, is from the time he gets up... Literally from the time when Inigo's talking to him, climbing the cliff, until Inigo leaves, is 
however long that is, is like some of my favorite minutes of cinema, period. Yeah. Period. So I want to stress that, and we'll talk about it more later. But the moment in that fight where uh, they both do it, there's like that monkey bar mm-hmm. between the ruins. Two things. One, Wesley throwing his sword and it's sticking in that thing looks dumb in the <laughs> in movie. Clump of grass. Like the way he throws it and the way it lands doesn't uh-huh. feel quite right. And it just, uh, it's a little too, sh- nah, I don't know. It feels a little too cartoony. And then Wesley, I don't mind Inigo. Flipping, I feel like I said this exact same thing in the pre in the I, first. I don't think you did. did. I not? Okay. I don't think so. I don't mind Inigo jumping and like flip swinging off it, but yeah. I hate when Wesley jumps and does like <laughs> three flips and then or whatever and then lands and then like does like a <laughs> ta da. And also in that moment when he lands, you can see the floor. Yeah. The padding on the floor. Yeah. You can see the padding a lot throughout. Yes, there's several moments, but there. that particular moment when he lands, you can see the ground like trampoline underneath him. That whole little bit, that like f- 10 seconds, I'm not a fan <laughs> of. And it's not in the book. It's not described in the right. book at all. Totally so. get what you're saying. I don't mind it. Okay. For me, it's an appropriate level of swashbuckly camp. I would normally not disagree because there's some I can I can be into some swashbuckly camp like a, a very comparative scene. And we, we could do a whole we may one day do a whole video essay about this, about the, how uh, Pirates of the Caribbean Curse of the Black Pearl is this movie. Um, I think we've mentioned this before mm-hmm. is the modern day equivalent of the Princess Bride. And this the fight scene between Jack Sparrow and uh, whatever uh, Will. Yeah, Will Turner. Will Turner uh, in the beginning of that movie is is this fight, basically. Yes. And uh, there's that goofy moment in that movie where they like end up on the 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 like the wheel. Yeah, whatever they're that on is. like the the wagon wagon or whatever, thing. and they're like balancing. Like, so that's an equivalent kind of moment. But it bothers me less in that movie. I think mm-hmm. maybe because that movie's just a little more silly overall, like a little more out there overall than this movie is. Maybe it's not, but it feels to me like we have like ghosts and goblins and you know, or what. Well, you know. I, I mean, I think it's it's just different kinds of silly i don't know to me that kind of moment works in pirates of the caribbean it doesn't it works less not that it doesn't work it's not like i hate it i just i don't love it and i and i that's totally fair so that's a slight better in the book it's the only thing better in the book about that whole scene is that moment because it's not in the book but whatever anyways (sighs) Uh, let's talk a little bit. This is my last note. Not my last note. I have a lot more notes, but it's my <laughs> it's my last in my stretch of notes here, and then I can stop talking for a second. Uh, Andre the Giant, we, t- we also get his backstory. Yeah. And it's a very sad backstory, and Andre the Giant's character is a much more... Uh, Fezzik is a much more sad and, and, and pained character in the book mm-hmm. than he is in the movie. Like, we almost get none of it in the movie. He's kind of just comic relief in the movie. Yeah, kind of. Like, he's picked on by Vizzini, but we don't have any of his tragic backstory. Mm-hmm. Which, in the book, there's this whole tragic backstory of his, he, he was always picked on as a child for being this, you know, being a giant. And uh, 
his parents try to teach him to fight. And then ultimately, once they realize how strong he is, they like force him into like fighting rings and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's a very complicated backstory, like because his parents still very clearly love him. He still loves his parents, but they are still kind of also forcing him slash forcing him slash exploiting him by you making him it's fight. Almost, him. It's almost I would almost say it's commentary on like stage parents. Yes, it is very stage parenty kind of um, where they, you know, they're it's 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 not as it's not like they're cruel and like forcing him to do it they're not just like just it they do clearly still love him and mm-hmm. like but it's it's complicated but it's a very complicated sad backstory i'm not sure it would work i don't in the movie I, yeah and i and we don't need it to understand his character and like we we don't need it for him to be a part of the story so I think that's probably largely why it was cut, but it also is very tonally different from what the movie's doing. I agree. I agree. I It's one of those things that I, I agree that it was a good idea for the movie to cut it, but it's a thing that I enjoyed reading in the book. Yes. And I felt like it added a layer of depth to his character that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where, if it again, if this were a TV show and you had like a... a you could do tonally different things throughout the course of the show, like mm-hmm. a little bit easier. I think maybe that would work on a TV show where you could have a more like depressing episode or whatever. You know what I mean? Where we're doing these like him and Inigo's backstory. Like that's just a whole episode. Yeah. And it's like a little bit more of a downer kind of or something. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you end on the Inigo and Wesley fight to like bring it back up. The, I don't know. I'm just saying like, I think that you could, you could do their backstories maybe in a different way. I, I did really like it. It's just, I, I don't know if it fits in the movie overall. So, so skipping ahead to the fire swamp, I, there's not a way to do this in the book or in the movie no. rather. Um, but I really liked, uh, there's a description in the book of what it feels like when they go down into the lightning sand lightning slash snow sand the snow sand as it's called in the book yeah um and then like when wesley goes after her to try to get her out he like grabs what he thinks is her wrist and and it's it's a skeleton hand yeah uh it's creepy it is very creepy yeah he thinks he has her and it ends up being a skeleton i do think um i think there would actually be a way to do to show the like weird suffocatingness of it if you got really creative with how you did it, like mm-hmm. visually, like I think um, it would be really tough, but I think I'm imagining like the scenes in, and I feel like I said this before, but maybe not the scenes in like tremors where we get like the first person view of the, 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 the worms mm-hmm. digging through the dirt, mm-hmm. a, a shot like that, but through the sand, I think yeah. could be an interesting, if yeah. you've seen tremors, you know what I'm talking about probably. But anyways, one of the things that I liked that I thought was better in the movie about the lightning and snow sand is I think I prefer that just calling it lightning sand. Yeah, I would prefer lightning sand as well. Because in the book, they specifically say that it's um, it's it's a misnomer. Mm-hmm. It's 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 often called lightning sand, but that's a misnomer. It's actually snow sand, and there's a difference between the two, and that snow sand is dry and that suffocates you. And uh, I mean, sh- whatever. It, like it's whatever. <laughs> it's just lightning sand again. With how quick it happens, feels like yeah. She just whoop. well, and it's a it's a more um, 
it's a more interesting and like dramatic name. Yeah. Like if I just if you hadn't seen the movie, hadn't read the book, anything, and I said lightning sand to you, you like have automatically conjured this idea of something vaguely threatening. Yeah, because we it's quicksand but faster. Yeah. Like it's <laughs> But if I said snow sand, uh, well, yeah. I don't know. it's just like the you mean like in you mean, Florida, yeah, like, you the, mean white like the white sand beaches. The white sand beaches. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Overall, so we we see one of Buttercup's nightmares in the movie. Mm-hmm. We see her wake up uh, or have a nightmare about the the boo boo yes. queen of putrescence or whatever the the you know that lady. Um, in the book, we have a whole series of nightmares. Um, when it, in the lead up to her marrying Humperdinck, there's repeatedly yeah. she's having nightmares after she leaves Wesley after the fire swamp. Um, she's having repeated nightmares because she you know she feels guilty for leaving what blah blah blah, uh, and, and and this impending doom of marrying Humperdinck. And I think it's a good idea for the movie to cut most of those, like in general. Like it's, yeah, uh, we uh, we get yeah. one of them. Uh, there's uh, there's like three or four in the book, but, but there is one in the book that I thought was pretty gnarly. Is she has this dream of herself being born, mm-hmm. and th- her parents or the doctor or the whatever midwife, the midwife was, essentially yeah. being like, "Well, sorry, your baby doesn't have a heart." Yeah, and then she baby buttercup like disintegrates into dust or something like that and i i do like that i think that was was the best dream in that moment along with the the old lady one of illustrating her what she's going through of this Mm -hmm. moment of of this guilt and feeling like she has sort of abandoned her love and and you know has has given up the like clearly she's feeling like I don't have a heart. Like I, 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 how did I give up on this? My my one true love and that sort of thing. I don't think it's necessary because we have the other one that's doing the same thing. Like the the old lady one's doing the same thing. And it's a little, I don't, I don't know which I would prefer in the movie. Uh, The old lady one's great. Like it's, it's a a classic scene. It's a classic scene. I think that one was obviously would be the easiest to do i yeah. think out of because she has a lot of dreams about like having babies yeah um and uh, all of them sound pretty creepy yeah uh, there was one in particular that i had in better in the movie because i was glad that the movie nixed it which is the one where she's like trying to breastfeed and the baby like looks up at her and says like your milk is sour yeah because you have no soul or something yeah. like that yeah. it's like what the heck <laughs> yeah yeah, there's some wild shit in those dreams. And I think you're right that the movie one is the easiest one to do. Yeah. Uh, and get across the point without being, like, overly creepy. Yeah. Like, and still kind of fitting the tone and, and, and vibe of the film. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's it's kind of fun and funny while, while being creepy and weird. Yeah. I, I don't disagree. So, eventually, Buttercup is going to write her letter to Wesley to try to get him to come back for her. Yeah. Which we see Humperdinck like agree to, but we know it's it's not it's real. All a lie. It's all a lie. Uh, in the book, he actually helps her write the letter because yes. she's like, "Oh, I don't know. I don't even know what to say." And he's like, "Well, let me help you." Let me help you. Uh, and then uses that to like mine for information about him in order to better torture him. Yeah, it's it's pretty gnarly. Yeah, it's it's a it is absolutely kind of a a fun little scene. That's I'll talk about why. I, I'm glad it's not in the movie, but it's that has to do with Buttercup in general, which right. we'll talk about in a later yeah. segment. Speaking of the torture of Wesley, though, one of the things that I don't think comes across in the movie, well, it doesn't because we the only torture of Wesley we see in the movie is the machine. Yes. Whereas in the book, he's tortured in 
a bunch of ways. Yeah, numerous ways. Uh, for weeks or whatever. Or months, Months, maybe, before the machine is completed and ready to be used. But we find out in the in the book that Wesley is actually, and I think this ties into his whole, like, uh, I built up an immunity to Iocane powder kind of thing. Like, he spent this time. Wesley's a bit, I will say this, as an aside, Wesley's a bit of a, Mary Sue. Oh, I have that in my in okay. my notes later. Wesley, I didn't see yeah, that. Wesley's a fucking Mary that. Sue. He's, uh, yeah. uh, like real hard, yeah. <laughs> like real hard. It's re- we'll get, we'll get. Okay, I'm glad you have a note about it because I I didn't actually have a note specifically anywhere, but it's yeah. No, it's, I have a note about it. Thanks for stealing my thunder. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but one of the things he does is he he like can zone out the torture. Like mm-hmm. he just. He like rolls his eyes up into his head and he takes his mind away and then he yeah. just doesn't even feel the he torture. Like, he like goes into his mind palace. Yes, basically, uh, which is Buttercup essentially. Like he takes his mind away to being with Buttercup and he it's described as he like literally doesn't even feel the torture. Like mm-hmm. it's 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 it hasn't affected him at all yeah. up until the machine comes out. And speaking of the machine. The machine overall very accurately depicted pretty much movie nailed it in Overall, in spirit. But there's like two things, elements of it that I think the book did a little bit better. One of them is the anticipation of it. One, we've already had all this torture and we know Wesley is like oblivious. Like it doesn't bother him. When the machine is finally completed, Count Rugen brings it into his cell and assembles it Mm -hmm. and then leaves it there overnight. And is like, that's the thing I'm going to use on you tomorrow. I'm not going to tell you what it does. Have a good night's sleep <laughs> and leaves. And that is incredibly terrible. Like, that's a really yeah. good, like, mind, you know, mind fuck. Like, it's a great little, like, uh, um, and then on top of that, and this I don't think is in, as, as intended as, like, an actual torture. I think it's actually the albino being just, like, a, an, a slightly empathetic character mm-hmm. is he comes into Wesley that evening and is like, please let me kill you. <laughs> You don't want me. You don't want him to use this machine on you, please. I'm asking you. I will kill you. They won't kill me. I'm too important to the whole operation here. Let me kill you. And that scene, which we don't get anything like in the movie, I think would have been the that those two scenes, the anticipation of the 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 building of anticipation for what the heck this thing is going to do. Is it builds so much fear and like uncertainty and like just dread yeah. in the book yeah. that it's like, okay, the albino knows what this does. And he's like, please let me kill you. I will kill you. Please let me kill you. Is It's kind of terrifying uh, in its own way. And then secondly, once we actually get to the using of the machine, so it does use a bunch of suction cups. In the book, the description of applying these suction, suction cups is awful. Awful. Because they're applied to literally every inch of his skin. Yeah, they're all over his body. All over his body. In the movie, there's like, you know, they're on his ears or like on his nipples. Like there's like 12 of them or something. In the book, it's like everywhere. Like everywhere, including they put it inside little tiny ones inside his nostrils, Mm -hmm. on his tongue, inside his eyelids. They put these suction cups everywhere. And... It, it, if you're in, if you have tryptophobia, I feel like this would really be like <laughs> triggering your tryptophobia because it's it's when I was reading it, I was like, wow. I mean, I guess I'm glad that it wasn't in the movie because I it's mm-hmm. horrifying. But 
it was horrifying. It it's, would have been more effective. Yeah, in a way, it is more interesting. <laughs> yeah, I didn't didn't like it. Not a fan. So we get to the point in the movie now where Inigo and Fezzik are trying to locate Wesley because mm-hmm. they need him to make the the plan to get into the castle, and I think it works in the movie. But I have also always felt that the movie just makes a lot of conclusive leaps during that part of the story where they they just like know things that they conceivably shouldn't know. Like a lot what? of like a lot of lucky guesses. Okay. I don't disagree. It it definitely builds more <sighs> I think it builds more realistically in the book like the way that they come to find him. Yes. I don't disagree. I prefer the way the movie does it overall. Yeah. Like I said, it works in the movie. Yeah. It works. Yes. Ultimately, uh, Fezzik and Indigo do find uh, Wesley or where he's being kept, and they, they're going down. And, and in the book, it's the Zoo of Death, which, again, right. we'll talk a little bit more about. Um, I've explained it at least enough. It's a, it's a, it's five levels of, of, of deadly animals, and mm-hmm. on the bottom level is where Wesley's being kept, and Indigo and Fezzik have to get down to the fifth level. And... Uh, they fight their way through all these animals, and <laughs> I did love that there's this little line, and I can't, they're talking, who are they talking about? In the, is it the albino? Yeah, I think it is, because he's think, like a zoo, the zookeeper, basically, in the book. Yeah. I don't remember the exact context of this. But they ask somebody a question at one point, and this this conversation takes place while they're like on the fourth level or something. But Inigo says to Fezzik, and I think they're talking about the albino, he's a zookeeper threatened by death. Why would he lie about something the zookeeper told them or something? Mm -hmm. And Fezzik says, that doesn't follow. And that little moment, there's several of them throughout the book where we get this inkling that Fezzik isn't he thinks he's dumber than he actually is. Yeah. yeah, totally. And this is one of those moments where he, it's very clear. Like, cause I remember reading that line where it's like, he's like, he's a zookeeper threatened by death. Why would he lie? And I was like, wait, what? That doesn't make any sense. And then Fezzik's like, that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And I really liked that little moment of Fezzik sort of like being able to like logic, because that's not something you, you identify with Fezzik is like mm-hmm. logical reasoning is like, uh, like being a strong suit. And, but it is clear that in the book that he does, he understands stuff more than it is a apparent, mm-hmm. I think. And, yeah. and that, that yeah. little line of like being able to realize that the, that why would he lie does not logically follow from the presupposition. He's a zookeeper who's being threatened by death is one of those moments that made me laugh. So, uh, speaking of the zoo of death, Fezzik and Inigo fight all the animals in the zoo of death. I think it's interesting. Yeah, it's, definitely. It's, it's having watched the movie first. It's one of those things where you're like, let's get to the, I yes. want to get to the yeah. end. Like I, I, I don't care about this because it's not important, but if you had read the book first, I think you would be missing this. Like if, mm-hmm. when you, if you want, if you read the yeah. book first and then watch the movie, you'd yeah. be like, Oh, the zoo yeah, of death I think scene. You'd be, you'd, yeah, you'd be disappointed by it for sure. But going the other way, you're like, all right, let's get to let's mm-hmm. get to the part that matters because like they're just killing <laughs> animals in this like you know in this underground layer. One the, the main part that I thought was really interesting is that during this fight, they he they they kill some 
It's the bats. Bats. bats Specifically, yeah. Inigo has to fight these like deadly poisonous bats because Fezzik freaks out about the bat. He's like super terrified of bats. And Inigo has to fight these bats, and he has this sort of like little mini flashback to to training in Scotland with the only sword master <laughs> in Scotland, McPherson. Uh <laughs> Who, who taught him about like fighting on from low ground to yeah. high ground and all these sort of things. And, and he translates that to being able to fight things that are flying. It's interesting. And I thought it was kind of fun. And then also right after that, I really liked the moment. They thought they were going to die and Fezzik or no Inigo tells Fezzik that he can't, they can't die because he has another rhyme or something like yeah. that. Uh, Cause the, the rhyming thing is a thing in the book and the movie. And Fezzik, uses the desire to know what the other the next rhyme was going to be this is when they're fighting the snake actually Mm -hmm. because they fight a big boa constrictor kind of thing and he uses this desire to know what (laughs) what inigo's rhyme is going to be to summon his strength and and kill this giant snake that's trying to kill them and then inigo's like i didn't actually have another rhyme yeah i was i was making it up as i went and fezzik is very distraught at him being lied to (laughs) by inigo but after all this takes place, they have this moment of reconciliation where Fezzik forgives him for lying to him, mm-hmm. and Inigo's like, I'm sorry, blah, blah, blah. And it's a really sweet little moment between these two yeah, friends. Yeah, it's, it's a nice little friendship moment. Yeah. And they have they have their own friendship movies and or moments in the movie. Like it yeah. their friendship is not something that needs more like expanding on necessarily in the movie. Like that's a very mm-hmm. uh the movie does a really good job sort of expressing their friendship but it, this moment in the book I, I i really enjoyed another stretch of my notes um <laughs> i'm sorry i'm sorry i'm talking so much <laughs> the first time i didn't read it so i didn't have as much to say uh they get to the final layer of the the zoo of death and there's a door yes and behind this door they don't know it but there's a deadly spider yeah that lives in the doorknob basically yeah it lives like behind the doorknob um and as they're they're getting closer to it oh, the totally... the narration is doing this like oh, countdown a... of how many feet away from, from death. death they are yeah. but we don't know what it is yeah, yet we have no idea what it is it's just like 12 feet from death and then Inigo walks back up the stairs and then the narration's like 24 feet from death and it's like <laughs> what the f- what is happening yeah it's a great that's a great little moment too but then it's revealed that there's this super deadly yeah spider that lives in the doorknob, and if you touch the doorknob, it jumps out and bites you, and you're, you'll die. And uh, ultimately, um, Fezzik, Inigo becomes so panicked that Fezzik becomes super panicked, and Fezzik just slams through the door. Yeah. Just throws he his just body. barrels it down. Barrels down the door. Uh, and as they're walking, they see that Wesley behind the door, and they're like, oh, we did it. There's Wesley. And they start walking in, and as they're walking in, Inigo sees the spider like crawling like scuttling across the floor and he just steps on (laughs) and it's this big build-up it's a really good moment because it's this big build-up you get that that like we said that 12 feet from death 24 feet from six feet from death 50 feet like back and forth back and forth ultimately you're like oh my god and then he just steps on it just smooshes it (laughs) it's 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 a great yeah i love that moment all right, let's talk about Miracle Max for a minute. Because mm. this one, for me, fits in all three categories, so yeah, I have a lot of notes sure. here. Um, because it's it, it it spans the gamut of <laughs> of our three, uh, our three categories. First up, for better in the book, there's this extra back and forth between Max and Valerie. When, when they show up, Max keeps going downstairs mm-hmm. to talk to Valerie. 
uh, about what's going on and then going back up and talking to them and going down and talking to her. Specifically, the thing I like about it is she's she wants him to work again. He hasn't worked yes. since Humperdinck fired him. And she's like desperate for him to work again so they can move out of the hut that they're living in. <laughs> and so she's trying to like trick slash coax him into working. Mm -hmm. She's like, oh, oh, yeah. Like she's trying to be really supportive, but also like kind of like nudge maybe him into doing it. Like, and she's yeah. like, oh, well, maybe just see how much they have. And then like if they can't pay, then maybe you don't do it. And. And, you know, and, and she's like listening and spying and she's like, oh, they because, you know, she's like, if they have 50 gold, do it for 50 gold. And they're like 65. And, and he comes back down. And he's like, they only have 20. And she's like, yeah. oh, that's too bad. You know, and she heard them say 65. The whole exchange is really kind of fun and adds an extra dynamic to their relationship mm -hmm. uh, that's kind of missing from the movie. Uh, so that that I think would be better in the book. Everything else from that is like spot on, essentially. Yeah, yeah basically. I also, I, I kind of like in the book the explanation of, uh, like, at one point it was very fashionable for miracle men to have, like, a witch who worked for them, but she's not actually a witch. She just kind of pretends to be. <laughs> well, it's funny because they say she's not actually a witch, but she knows enough yeah, that she basically like, is a she's witch. She's not a witch, but she's learned enough to like pass herself off as a witch. And it's I'm like, like, what's the difference? Yeah, what's the difference at that point? <laughs> You're a witch. I was like, yep, that's that's how that works. Yeah, like it's and that's I mean that's how I feel about my career every day. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's like she's got witch imposter syndrome apparently, but um yeah, it's like what's the difference between, you know, actually being a a thing and knowing enough unless, to pretend to be a thing. Unless in this universe, you're supposed that's something you're supposed to be like born as. I'm sure it is. Yeah. I'm sure that's kind of what they're going for is like it, it's but again, she she knows enough to basically be a yeah. witch. She, yeah. It also is a great description of imposter syndrome. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh uh, but uh the better in the movie, uh so uh, better in the movie kind of overall because of just the performances, like right. The movie nailed it because the lines are all the same. Like, it's a lot of the dialogue's identical and, and, and that, blah, blah, blah. Um, one little change that's definitely better in the movie that I kept here is uh, <laughs> there's an ethnic slur in the book. Yes, there is. Uh, in reference to Inigo, uh, Max calls him an ethnic slur, and the movie does not do that, yeah. which is great. So <laughs> appreciate that. Um, and it's one of those where it's not really, it's not doing anything. Not mm -hmm. that you, it's, uh, you, you can use ethnic slurs in your book if it's doing something that like means a thing. Yeah. You know, this doesn't, this doesn't, it's just that. literally just like, he just calls him a, a thing and it's like, okay. <laughs> it's not, it's not like commentary. It's not like, we're not supposed to think less of Max for it or anything. Mm -hmm. He just, yep. It's literally actually just used for a rhyme. I feel like. Or not a rhyme, so that she can miss, so that Valerie can mishear what he said and think he said a thing. It's like used for a joke mm -hmm. in the sense of like, he says this thing and then she goes, did you say there's a blank with a blank? Yeah. And that's why he said that so that she could mishear the word right. as a different word. It's, yeah. it's, it's real. No, it's bad. It's real bad. It's real bad. 
So I don't think this is something that needs to be in the movie. And indeed, in the book, it is something that the narrator just like summarizes. Yeah. So it's not really in the book either. But I do think the idea of Inigo and Fezzik hunting for ingredients to make the miracle pill is interesting. Yeah. It also gives us the explanation of where Fezzik got the Holocaust cloak. Not that we really need an explanation for that, but... The, you know that is we do get that in the book it is actually really interesting because that was a question i think i remember having the first time when yes we, did we this, talked about that in the original was the holocaust episode. cloak and um it's explained in, in in the book that uh it's used for collecting holocaust mud whatever I that is know. which is one of the ingredients they need and yeah. the reason you need this cloak is because it's essentially fireproof mm-hmm. because the mud is like in some volcanic area something like that you know like yeah, to get the like mud a protective yeah, you need you. this cloak to get the mud because it's like fiery environment or something, mm-hmm. um, which which then makes sense why this cloak works for lighting it on fire and Fezzik not yes. burning. So yeah. like it's it's a little detail that does kind of as a kid, it was a thing, a scene, the whole fire Holocaust cloak was the thing I didn't get as a kid. I was mm-hmm. like. Whatever. What is a Holocaust cloak? Why is he not burning to death? Like I didn't get any of it. I just, <laughs> I just didn't. I, whatever. And the book does kind of have a little bit of an explanation for it. So I thought, yeah, well, that was interesting. And my last thing that I love about the book is that when they get out of the castle, uh, they're on the horses, and in the movie we just see them right away on the horses. In the book, they have to get past the brute squad still. And you are the brute squad. <laughs> Buttercup helps them to get past the brute squad by proclaiming herself to be the queen. Yes. They're like, oh, we only take orders from the prince. And she's like, yeah, I'm the queen. I'm your so queen. So you better go over there because like, the bad guys went that way. <laughs> they're like, oh, okay. Bye. Yeah. Bye. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's a good little moment. Um, it's like the only better Buttercup moment. Yeah. Which, again, we'll talk about here in just a minute. So, with that all being said, an hour and ten minutes into the episode, (laughs) it's time for Better in the Movie. Only another hour and 45 minutes left to (laughs) go. This is a deep dive. This is what you guys are here for. It's the 100th episode. Deep dive. This is for the real fans. (laughs) My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. I still think using the part of the frame story that's just the grandpa slash dad in the book reading to a sick kid is the best choice that the movie could have made. I absolutely agree because my my next several notes are all about the (laughs) or or at least my next note uh, is about the yikesy parts of goldman's writing Uh, again this was written in what the 60s 70s the 70s 70s um and it's very clearly written by a white dude and white movie producer in the 70s yeah like it's the 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 frame story parts that are like william goldman's story specifically there's this whole He's it's one of those (laughs) it's this whole thing about William Goldman kind of reflecting on his life. And he's he's like a very clearly kind of not cynical necessarily, but he's reached a point in his life. And it's who knows how much is real and how much is sort of manufactured. I think that is one important thing to note is that 
This is there's there's William Goldman the author, but there's also William Goldman the character. The character, the author. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like because he talks about like he talks about his son, for example, yeah. in this, but he doesn't actually have a son oh, in real life. That. He has two daughters. Okay. Yeah. I, I looked it up to make sure. At least yeah. no son that I know of anyway. Okay. But so he has this whole story in the book about he's at this, he's trying to find the book. He's trying to find the princess bride so his son can read it. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's in California or something. He lives in New York. He's in California at this hotel. There's a whole story about the, this young starlet in this pool. Who's like flirting with him. And he, mm-hmm. he's like wants to sleep with her, but also he wants to find this book for his son. It's this weird, gross, thing like I, yeah. I, I, I if you've read it you, you know what i'm talking about it's not like the worst thing in the world it's not like horrible like i don't know i don't know like it's not you know it's not incredibly yikesy but it's not great it's not great it's not great and it, it it also doesn't add a lot to what the princess bride is like Mm-mm. i don't think Mm-mm. what i will say is that there's elements of william goldman's part of the frame story as an adult which is all cut from the movie. We get him as a child, basically, is yeah. the frame story we get. There's like a kernel of, of an interesting idea of him as an adult being this kind of cynical middle-aged man who's trying to recapture his youthful optimism through this nostalgia he has for this book. Yeah. And it's interesting, but the way it's told is is mm. gross and yikesy. Mm-hmm. Overall, like he 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 like he's like weirdly like fat phobic about his kid yeah he's like like his very fat phobic about his fictional son yeah and 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 also even apart from that he's just kind of shitty about his kid like he Mm -hmm. i don't know it's if you read it you, you like i said it's hard to describe without reading it in in its entirety and kind of getting the whole feel of the thing it's not like it's the worst thing in the world, but it's also has not aged well and is yeah, not like for sure. Not a uh, it's not a good look. And it's it's there's some definitely bad elements of it that I, I'm glad are not in the movie that help bring the movie that help make the movie a little more timeless and have aged a little bit better than the book has. I also love that we get the line. Is this a kissing book? Yeah, because that's not in the book. No. Yeah, yeah, specific. There's a handful of those lines with Fred Savage and the grandfather that aren't in the book. And mm-hmm. yeah, is this a kissing book? Yeah, it's not in the book. <laughs> uh, speaking of the, the the strain of weird fat phobia that is throughout this book, there's the, the whole story of Annette, which we'd mentioned earlier, yeah. and this is where it relates to. And I don't know what the moral of this is because <laughs> this is also one of the things I read very early, so I don't remember the, all the details of it. But there's a story of Annette. Well, the, the the book proper, yeah. The Princess Bride, starts with this kind of rundown of the most beautiful woman in the world and, like, the different women who hold this title at That's different times. Yes. And one of them is Annette, yes. who was, like, a maid yes. in, a, a, in, like, a duke's palace yes. or something like that. And then the duke's wife, I think, realized that yes. she really liked chocolate. Yeah. And so, like, kept giving her chocolate, so she got fat. And so it, it comes across initially as this weird, like, oh, well, she's fat, so she's ugly now. But ultimately, her story ends happily. Yeah, she marries the baker, and they're both happy. They're both, as clams. and they both live happily ever yeah. after. And so there's like a, 
it feels like maybe there's actually a nugget of like progressive thinking in terms of like well yeah it's it's of, a, of, of sort yeah. of of defying traditional beauty standards and just being happy like the right. fact that they just end up happy and they are happy and and William Goldman's not happy and he's the one who's like William Goldman, the narrator in this story, is not happy. He's like a deeply unhappy middle-aged man who's yeah. like kind of I don't say deeply unhappy, but relatively unhappy. He's pretty unhappy. Yeah, middle-aged man who's not you know, but and and he's like very critical of people's weight and stuff. And 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 Annette ends up you know, like I said, she 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 gains weight, but her and and the baker end up very happy together. And and it almost feels like William Goldman is like envious of that. Like yeah. To an extent, like the way he writes this almost feels like there is a, a slightly more progressive bent of like, yeah, well, they're happy and whatever. Like, it's, you know, it's fine. But it still feels weird. But it's, I don't, well, yeah. yeah, it's an interesting thing because there is that aspect to it. But also the message is very much like she got fat. So now she's, she's no beautiful. longer beautiful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and speaking of the whole most beautiful woman thing, I'm glad the movie excises that whole thing. We get the, like you said, we start with this whole rundown of who yeah. the most beautiful women have been, and the whole thing just the hasn't whole, aged well. Yeah, the whole, it's very, uh, it, it's very ob objectifying. It's it's um, it's as male gazy as a book can be. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And like the various ways that these women lose the title mm. of most beautiful woman. Yes. It's it's never uh, I yes. don't I don't know. It's it's always just like woof, dude. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It it never feels like he's commenting on beauty standards, but it's instead just a like Yeah. agreeing with and Yeah. It, it is it doesn't it's not it doesn't feel good it's like when you read it you're like okay this all right like it's just it's just because uh, because what you're reading is a middle-aged white dude r ranking it, it fucking give giving women's from on a zero to ten rating like yeah. who's a 10 out of 10 it's real hard like incel vibes is the whole thing <laughs> like that's what it is it, it, it's like hard like um red pilled like yeah uh Elbows too pointy, three out of ten. Like that's yeah. what it, the energy you yeah, get from the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, and as soon as they have any slight flaw, they're not even just that they get knocked down to an eight or whatever. They're yeah. no longer beautiful. No, yeah, yeah. It, the whole thing just feels kind of gross. I think there's a way to do because I, this is a very traditional like sort of rom romance idea. Like she's the most beautiful woman in the world. I think mm -hmm. there's a way to do that. And to even do this, like, who the most beautiful women have been, I think you could do that in a way less problematic way. I don't know if a 48-year-old white guy could do it, <laughs> but I think there's a way to do a similar idea in this kind of story that feels less gross. But this isn't it. And so the movie doesn't include this, and it's yeah. a good idea. Yeah. It's a good it's a good thing that the movie doesn't include any of the ranking of women. <laughs> good call movie. <laughs> There's this little brief thing where the Count Rugen has a wife, the Countess. Mm -hmm. The Countess. And she's into Wesley and yeah. Buttercup is jealous and it never goes anywhere. And it doesn't We talked mean about anything. this in our yes. first episode. I, yeah, yeah, I remember that yeah. Um which 
And my thoughts on it previously were that, like, it's not necessary. We don't need it in the movie. It does kind of push the action along. Like, it's kind of interesting in that way. Yeah. But, yeah, we, we don't we don't need it. No. I mean, we don't need it in the same vein that we don't need their confessions of love to each other um, because the movie is able to do that very neatly and tidily. Yeah. So the last line of the movie or of the non-frame story movie, there have been five kisses in all of history that deserve full marks. This one left them all behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, that line at the end of the movie actually happens when they first kiss. Yeah. When Wesley yeah, Buttercup the, the first, first time they kiss in the book. In the book, I think it is a much better idea to move that. To oh the end. yeah, way better. That that's an ending line. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think moving it to the end when they're reunited, the happy ending. Yeah, yeah, makes perfect sense. That's one of those things where uh, because William Goldman did do the screenplay yeah. for this. Well, that's the whole thing where, about yeah. this whole conversation is it. William Goldman agrees with yeah. all of our critiques. He just He's the person who did these story. changes. Yeah. yeah. And I, I wonder if that was one of those things where it was like he realized after the book was published that like, oh, that should have been. Yeah. That's an ending line. Yeah. And then he got to do that for the movie. Yeah, probably. And, and I'm sure, you know, the directors and producers, Carl Reiner and or Rob Reiner and the yeah. producers had input on the script and stuff. Right. But, he was the, he's the only credited screenwriter. So I, I think it's safe to say that a lot of these changes, he was the one who made them because he realized, mm-hmm. ah, this would be better. Yeah. All of these things. So I think in general, he probably agree with what we had to say about what was better in the book and the movie. Uh, so let's talk about buttercup because this is a note we had. Uh, we both had, I think buttercup is just way better in the movie overall. Yes. Yeah. Just, full stop better character in the movie yeah. in the book she's written as like unintelligent yeah in a way she's that's... not written as a particularly bright bulb in the book and it's and that's fine but it feels it it leads to her feeling really like infantilized yeah and 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 it it leads to even like wesley and and all of the main characters but even wesley feeling very patronizing towards her mm-hmm. and and it feels really gross with wesley because you know they're they're, they're right they belong their, their together. love is supposed to be the purest love yeah and love if nothing else i feel like should be an equal yeah an equivalent thing like it should be an equal give and take you know on almost all level. like yeah it's complicated but like it the fact that in the book he comes across as this like he comes across like a patriarchal sort of mm-hmm. like leader and she like falls in line as a subservient sort of, um, you know, submissive wife kind of thing. Um, in a way that's not like intentional or the way that's not her choice. Like it's just mm-hmm. because she's a little like kind of not super smart. Yeah. She ends up yeah. just like doing whatever he says and he's like kind of calls her dumb and like, kind of teases her for being dumb in a way that feels gross. Mm-hmm. And so making her a much more fiery, self-possessed, intelligent character in the movie just is a lot better in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. It's almost a softening of her character. Uh, not in a bad way. Like almost like an evening out. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's an evening out um, where we bring her like more level. And I, I think the book's, intention 
maybe was for her to have more of a character arc. arc. I agree with that. But I don't know that it works, and I don't know that she needs to have a character arc. No, I agree. I don't think she needs an arc, and I also don't think it's super effective because, yeah, because because we like you said that moment at the end where she has this she she tricks the the brute squad mm-hmm. into to running off. That's her that's her big you know peak of her arc where she 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 has her moment, and it's fine, but. It comes out like there's nothing leading to that. There's nothing. Yeah. That, well, it's not true. She does at least talk about how, well, I spent years going to, to, um, to royalty, to school. royalty school, essentially. And so I learned a little bit here and there. And it's like, OK, but even right up until that moment, Wesley's still kind of treating her stupid. Like, yeah. I don't know. It just doesn't feel like a super satisfying arc. And well, it's just it it doesn't work because the faults that were presented with for her I mean, there's the fault of her being dumb, but there's also the fault of her being like kind of heartless. Yeah. You know, it's it's almost like a Grinch arc, like her heart has to grow three sizes. And that high point at the end for her doesn't really resolve either of her faults per se. No. So the whole thing just kind of falls apart. Yeah. Yeah. I, like a, a more satisfying arc in the in the book would be somehow her standing up to what not standing up to Wesley necessarily, but like somehow <sighs> measuring up to him in, in the way that, that puts them on equal footing. Whereas as it is, they just like, Oh, we're going to die. The whole brood squads here. And then she just kind of like saves the day. Yeah. And he kind of acknowledges it, but it doesn't feel I don't know. It feels it just doesn't feel like a satis it's not a satisfying arc. It's not a satisfying ending for her character in the book, in my opinion. And I think the movie just making her a more self-possessed, more fleshed out character mm-hmm. um in the movie just works overall better. Yeah. We've talked about the zoo of death, but dropping it, I think, is the I right call. I think it's the right call. I think it's interesting conceptually, but I don't think it would have worked in this movie. And it would be a nightmare. They dropped yeah. it. I bet ninety nine percent of the reason they dropped it was for like budgetary oh, budgetary yeah. reasons like All those animals animals and whether you're doing it practically or with effects or whatever yeah. you're doing it's going to be a giant nightmare so <laughs> just get rid of all the animals get rid of Fezix or indigo stabbing bats in the dark like just nah, none of that none of that <laughs> we just it's the pit of despair and it's a uh, yeah it, it makes a lot of sense I, I i get it and while the zero death has some interesting elements it's not it doesn't add that much to the story yeah and I don't know that it would work with the changes to Humperdinck's yeah. character anyway, so. I agree. I had a bunch of random notes of different scenes that I thought the movie did better by just cutting lines. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to go through all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll mention a few more over the course of the rest of these notes. But just in general, the movie script is so tight and it almost every scene that so many scenes are directly from this is one of the most faithful adaptations, which yeah. makes sense because yeah. it's William Goldman doing it. But so many scenes have their dialogue trimmed in a way where it's just it's just the best like, part weeks here and there. Yeah. Yeah. That make it really like, yeah, it's much tighter better it trims all the fat like it Mm -hmm. trims all of this unnecessary fluff in scenes and just gives us the best moments and even the best moments from the movie very often and and i'm sure i have some notes coming up 
even the best moments from the book that are also in the movie, it dip, tweaks yeah. them slightly and makes them just that much better, in my opinion, in the trying to look at it objectively, even ignoring the performance, ignoring everything about it. Just like the line, like if I were to look at the line written from the movie on like the screenplay and the line written in the book, mm -hmm. I'd be like, and if I just read them, I liked it. I think I'd be like, yeah, that movie line is just a better version of this line. Yeah, <laughs> like it's just totally. a, a slightly tighter, better version of this line. Another thing that's better is Vizzini, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Um, his personality I don't think really comes across in the book. Like he's just kind of a jerk in the yeah. book. Yeah. But he doesn't really have a specific personality. I I don't feel like mm -hmm. he's a hunchback who's like a a jerk, like kind of an asshole to his people. <laughs> but like he, he, there's not like a you don't get a vibe of who he is. Whereas I think Inigo and Fezzik's characters both translate really well. Mm -hmm. Like who they are in the book is very much who they are in the movie. Mm -hmm. I think the movie's Vizzini adds an extra layer. The performance by Wallace Shawn adds an extra layer yeah. to his character. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely in the book, he's like one of those guys who thinks he's smarter than everybody else. But in the movie, that comes across so much clearer. Yes. And I do think a lot of it is the performance. Yeah. But yeah, he's a, a particular type of asshole. Absolutely. He's a very distinct type of asshole. And in the book, he's more of a generic jerk. Yeah. And I, I think the movie. Yeah, version... the characterization is not as strong in yep, the book. I agree. We mentioned that the movie cuts uh, all of Fezzik's backstory, but I do love that there are little nods to it here and there. Like Vizzini says, uh, mentions that he was you, you were you were unemployed. unemployed in Greenland. <laughs> Which we know in the book is where he was yeah. when he, he was in a circus and got booted from the circus and was like by himself in Greenland. Yep, absolutely. So the rhyming between Fezzik and Inigo is a running thing in the book. It mm -hmm. is something right out of the book. But specifically one line that is not in the book from my memory is uh, anybody want a peanut? Which is yeah, not in the book. One of my favorite lines. I always, a as a kid, line. I quoted that line all the time. Anybody want a peanut? Um, and yeah, it's not in the book. So that's very specific line, just in the movie. I love it. It's great. The screeching eels mentioned it. Yeah, better than sharks. Way better than sharks. Way better than sharks. Sharks are boring. Eels. Sharks exist. Shrieking <laughs> eels don't exist. I do want to mention. That uh, So in this, we both have the 30th anniversary edition of the book here, and there is a map at the beginning yeah. of it. And in a different part of the channel in the map in the book, there are giant eels. Mm. But I don't know if that is something that's original to the book or if this map was made for the 30th anniversary edition and is thus after the movie. Yeah, if they added that in reference to the movie yeah, or I, if I the know. movie pulled that in reference to the... Yeah. We've got a real chicken or egg situation yeah. here. If anybody has an earlier copy of the book, let us know if there's a map with giant eels in it. I am pretty sure that there's a reference to eels in the Zoo of Death as well. Yeah, there is. But it's not shrieking it's, eels. I think it's just it's like shrieking tarantulas. Eels. Yes. I think they combined shrieking tarantulas <laughs> and whatever the uh, the eels were. Um, from the Zoo of Death, yeah. But yeah, if anybody knows whether or not the map was in the original version, would be interesting to know. I also love um, the way that the movie does the whole thing with the frame story is, um, and we get the grandpa's voice 
coming out of Vizzini's mouth in the movie, and then he kind of is just like summarizing yeah. real quick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that little moment's great when they jump back into the story. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the most famous lines. I feel like we're really we've got a long. That's I a mean, long the, the list most famous most lines famous in the Princess lines. Bride is is if, if you're gonna say a movie that has the most the most famous lines, it's probably the Princess yeah. Bride. I easily it's the most one of cool. if not the most quotable movie ever. It's gotta be. Yeah, it's top three if not number one with yeah. a bullet. Like there's I, <laughs> very few <laughs> others that come close in my opinion. Um, but the line. You keep using that word. I do not think you mean what you, it means what you think it means. Yeah. So that line is from the book. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But I love, love, love Mandy Patinkin's <laughs> delivery. Yes. Because in the book, he says it. That says that he says it angrily. Does it? I yeah. miss that. Yeah. He's like angry about it. I Whereas, like I love in the movie, he just sounds kind of baffled. Yeah. He's like <laughs> he's like puzzled about yeah. it. And it's again one of those moments where these characters, Vizzini's the smart one. Yeah. But we get these moments where these other two characters, it's clear that they're not as dumb as Vizzini thinks they are or as even they're kind of portrayed. Yeah. Like where that moment where, yeah, do not think it means what you think it means? It's just, <laughs> I did it. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I knew I was going to do it at some point and I could have told you it was probably going to be that line because it's literally one of my favorite lines in the entire movie. Um, but yeah, uh, it's, it's fantastic. It's M Mandy Patinkin is the best in this movie. Uh, speaking of Mandy Patinkin, one of the other lines he has, which is not in the book, uh, wholly created for the movie is, uh, he's discussing with Wesley on top of the cliffs, uh, that he, you know, he's talking about his backstory and about mm -hmm. how he's been searching for, um, the, the murder of his father and he says he fell in with Vizzini because he needed money and he says there's not a lot of money in revenge yeah and it's a great line <laughs> it's a great line and I love how when he says it if you watch Wesley he just like nods like yeah yep yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah you're right man I get that I'm a pirate <laughs> I love that the movie works in Inigo's backstory by having him tell Wesley about it because we need to know Inigo's backstory yeah. in a it's way pivotal, that yeah, yeah, in a way that we do not need physics. But this isn't the kind of movie that you just put a flashback into. No. So I think the way that they get around that really works. And I also like that it creates like a bond of sorts between these two characters, which helps in the last act of the story when they have to work together. That's a really good point that I didn't consider. Cause like I do really like seeing the whole mm -hmm. Inigo backstory. But you're right, because we just get it as a flashback in yes. the book, he doesn't tell any of this yeah. to Wesley. And by him telling it to Wesley is, you know, that's a really good point. Yeah, I now actually, Wesley, yeah. like, knows him a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it, 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 it creates a bond between them mm -hmm. that they did not have um, previously. Yeah, no, it's a really good point. And I, I think, yeah, no, that's, yeah, yes, absolutely. So after they duel... Uh, and Wesley goes on to try to uh, grapple with Fezzik now. And I, I love I love the scenes, the moments where he's just like he's got his arms around Andre the Giant. And he's like, just like desperately <sighs> trying <laughs> yeah. to budge him. And he just can't. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
and it's funny because that fight is essentially identical to what's described in the book. Mm-hmm. Like he jumps on it, like they wrestle around and dive around. He jumps on his back and he slams him into rocks and stuff. But yeah, just seeing Carrie Elwes hanging on his back like is yeah, <laughs> very funny. Another line that's not in the book that the movie added, which I love, is after Wesley defeats Fezzik, he says to him, I do not envy you the headache you'll have in the morning, but for now, sleep well and dream of very large women. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Which, yeah, not in the book. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic line, other than assuming Fezzik's sexuality, but... (laughs) Fair. (laughs) Fair. But it's a period piece, so I think it works like uh, <laughs> but yeah. I also think that the movie much improved on Vizzini's lines about how smart he is. Cause in the book he kind of goes like on and on and on. Yeah. Um, whereas in the movie we get the very, very simple, very impactful. You ever hear of Aristotle, Plato, Socrates? Morons. Morons. Yeah. Absolutely. I also love Wesley's calm and cool demeanor while Vizzini bluffs about the poisoned wine. Mm -hmm. Because in the book, he's described as being like agitated during that scene. Yeah, there's moments throughout that where he comes across much more annoyed. Yeah. And like, and like, yeah, high strung. Yeah, I like him playing. And I'm not really sure in the book what exactly we're supposed to get out of that. Like, is he just like pretending? Is he pretending? Or like, what exactly is he trying to do? And I like how in the movie he just like sits there and is very. You can tell. There's no doubt. And and it it adds to, it adds to Vizzini's character that he doesn't realize because it's obvious to us as an audience that Wesley's just like he's not this even clown. a little bit <laughs> like, concerned. Not, not yeah. the slightest bit concerned. He's just like it's like it's like watching a, you know, he's like it's like he's like people watching. He's like sitting yeah. there looking at him like you like when you're watching like a a per like if you're at the grocery store and there's some person like yelling at the cashier and you're just like oh my goodness like he's looking at him with that like almost again like a patronizing like yeah oh you like he he he, <laughs> he sees right through Vizzini. And uh, that doesn't come across in the book, and I, I, I do like that a lot in the movie. Also, Wallace Shawn's death is chef's kiss. It is what happens in the I, book. It is what happens in the book. you don't get to but see you that. you don't get to see it, and it's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So there's a little moment in the, in the movie uh, where Buttercup, they're running away after. Yeah. Uh, and she doesn't know that it's Wesley. She yet. doesn't know it's Wesley. Uh, Vizzini's dead. They're running and she insults him somehow. I don't remember what she says. Like, uh, I, I love more than I've loved more deeply than a, yeah, a, a killer criminal like, like you ever could yeah. or something. And in the movie, he like brings his hand up like he's going to hit her. Um, and in the book, he fucking hits her. Yeah, he, actually he hits, hits her. her. And. <laughs> I never liked that moment in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> let alone actually hitting her. Like the the pretending, like acting like he's gonna hit her is that whole. I don't even know what to say about the whole, the whole like character turn where he's. I get what the movie's going for with Dread Pirate Wesley, where he's he thinks he feels betrayed by her, and he's mm-hmm. like trying to suss out like what her what motivations her motivations were. are. Is she actually right. like? Does she love Humperdinck and and like has moved on? Like he doesn't he's not sure. So he's trying to suss that out. And so it's all kind of an act. Yeah, I get that. 
I get it, but, but it, 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 still... and it also feels like it feels very deeply unfair. Yes. Because yes. he's incredibly cruel to her yes. in those few minutes without knowing the whole story. And that's the thing that feels really weird and gross about it because it feels it's a good change having him not hit her in mm-hmm. the movie. But even still, the thing that feels really unfair about it is or not even unfair. The thing that feels really weird about it is. The movie, he's trying to suss out her, fe- like, what's going on with her. He doesn't know. He hasn't been around. He's this is the first time he's seen her in, in three years or whatever. Yeah. So I get that. And he's trying to figure out what, what's going on with her. But it, like you said, um, it feels unfair. And, and it feels unfair be- it, because it feels, it doesn't feel like an act. It yeah. feels like Wesley's genuine emotions. Yeah. And that makes you dis makes me dislike yeah. Wesley. Yeah, it does. Because and, and and maybe it's not, maybe it's purely an act, but it feels genuine. At least the way the performance comes across, I don't know. It's tough to people may disagree. I could see people be like, "No, it feels like he's putting on a show like to try to like get the answer out of her." But to me it just feels genuine like it feels like that's what he's feeling and 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 that's like actually his motivation is like he wants to hit her and it uh, i don't it's not a good thing i don't like it yeah um i don't like it it's still better <laughs> than him actually hitting her which is what happens in the book but still <sighs> yeah so uh great line that's in the movie that is also in the book and I, I, it's a little change that I like quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Life is pain, princess. Anybody who tells you differently is selling you something. I think I said that right. Uh, is said by Wesley in the movie. That mm-hmm. line is from the book, but it's not said by Wesley. It's actually in Fezzik's flashback. Yes, it's said by his mom. His mom says that to Fezzik's mom says that to him. And since you had to cut Fezzik's flashback, because again, it's not super yeah. important. It's a great line. Great and I think line. it makes perfect we sense. We don't want to lose it. Makes perfect sense to give it to him here. Yeah, absolutely brilliant change. Absolutely. I also think she pushes it. So she Buttercup pushes him down the mountain Mm -hmm. into the ravine in the movie as he's falling. As you wish. Yells it as he's falling down the hill. Same thing happens in the book, but slightly differently. He gets pushed, falls down the mountain. And when he gets to the bottom of the ravine, as he's laying there, he says, "Yeah, as you wish," and she hears that, and then she throws herself off the cliff. After she, she doesn't throw herself no, off she, the yes, cliff. No, yes, you're right. Like, yeah, because this is a change that I like. I love that in the movie, Buttercup just fully throws herself down the hill instead of even trying to climb down. Yeah, because she does try to climb down in the book, and yes. she ends up like she slipping ends up falling yeah. and like falling the rest of the way. But I just there's something so delightfully melodramatic about, about her realizing Wesley. that it's Wesley yeah. and just like fully like ah throwing herself down. Yeah. Absolutely. But I think the, the, again, the small change of just moving the line yeah. to as he's falling is much more dramatic. Yes. Also, it makes more sense because it is described as quite a distance in the book and, mm-hmm. and like it is in the movie. Like it's, he's several hundred feet away. And in the book, I feel like it's described like he like moans as yeah. you wish at the bottom. Like, how did how she, she hear how did she him? Hear it? Yeah. So she I, has amazing hearing. Apparently has amazing hearing. I think the movie version of that's just a lot better. And we also get a reunion scene between them. 
yep. in the movie. A, a brief one because we we get interrupted by our grandson who doesn't want to hear about kissing. Um, but we do get a small reunion scene between the two, as well as the line, death cannot stop true love. All it can do is delay it for a while, which I don't believe is in the book. No, it's not. And so we talked about this, that the reunion scene in the book mm-hmm. is omitted. Yes. But you can write in and you could previously. Yeah, you, yeah, you previously you could write to the publisher. Yes. So there's a note in the 30th anniversary edition uh, where... Goldman uh, addends or I don't know, adds an addendum or whatever. Uh, I've been writing since Eisenhower's been president. And I think this is my first asterisk. I feel giddy. The purpose of this is to announce that time has marched on. If you don't want to wait to read the reunion scene, you no longer have to just go to the internet and log on to www.hmhco.com slash princess bride. And you'll see, uh, you'll see it right on your very own computer screen. So try that out. I haven't tried it yet to see if so that's the, I've never actually tried it. Did Harcourt not have Princess Bride anymore or something? Or, oh. Well, I, I don't know if it still works, but when I was doing uh, some research for our prequel episode of this, apparently you don't actually get a reunion scene. You get a fake uh, cease and desist letter from the Morgenstern estate. Okay. Interesting. Oh, so it's actually, so it's a, oh. So it's like a fake out on top of a fake uh, out. Interesting. So let's talk about Prince Humperdinck. We yes, mentioned let's. it, but is now's the time. Hot take, probably not hot take. Prince Humperdinck in the movie is just a better character, mm-hmm. the more interesting character. So in the book, he is a very imposing, terrifying badass mm-hmm. kind of. Again, we talked about how he like he like murders lions and orangutans and like wrestles with them. He can smell blood in the book. Yeah. Like he can sniff blood. Like he, he is a master tracker in the movie. Like he's really good at like, he can look at a scene and be like, okay, this person did like Aragorn and Lord of the Rings or whatever. (laughs) Hobbits went this way, you know? Um, But, and he can do that in the book, but he can also like smell blood and he's just this much more imposing, terrifying Mm -hmm. person in the book. And I, prefer the like try hard narcissist pompous clearly yeah. faking it version of yes. Pump Humperdinck we get in the movie I prefer him so much more because we get the same ending for his character in both the book and the movie we get the exact same drop your sword drops his sword mm-hmm. cowardly cowardly you know cowards his way out gives up they tie him up same ending and I don't buy that ending from book Humperdinck, mm-hmm. but I a hundred percent buy that ending oh, yeah, for movie. A thousand percent. So yeah. yeah, that's that's my yeah. So I do prefer, as you said, the try-hard pompous narcissist of the movie to the book's version, which the, the book, yeah, goes very hard on making him like an out-and-out sociopath. However, I do think there's a discussion to be had that what the movie essentially does is make him more effeminate. Arguably another queer-coded villain who crumbles at the end when confronted with quote-unquote real masculinity, i.e. Wesley. I think there's a discussion to be had there. I think you're absolutely right in the sense that the movie's version does... There is he's a little more feminine at times. There's a and I actually have a distinct note about a thing that in retrospect, I do agree that 
I think it is. So there's some queer coding there that is unfortunate. Cause I, but I think the over, I think you could do the exact same character without that. Like I think, I think the Humperdinck of the movie, we all know who he is. Right. We know what he's supposed to be. We know the type of person movie Humperdinck is. Yeah. It's unfortunate that he's slightly queer coded in the movie. I agree with that, but I do still prefer the version of because to me he's 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 the I interpret movie Humperdinck and I see what you're saying. I interpret movie movie Humperdinck as the as the the internet like um like again try hard like the internet mm-hmm. fuckboy the like just this was your hot take in the first in was our, it? In our original episode. Yeah. Oh, did I call him a fuckboy? The uh, Humperdinck is the original, like, internet incel yeah. kind of. Yeah, and that's still the vibe I get. I, I totally see what you're saying, and I, I think you're right. That it, yeah. that it, that it, there is, it's not super, like, over the top. It's not super over the top. Unfortunately, that depiction of, like kind of the cowardly effeminate villain is just very yeah. intertwined with queer coding. No, absolutely. Yeah. hundred uh, percent. Yeah. As a side note, if you want to learn more about queer coding, because I'm not like super qualified to talk about it, uh, I recommend YouTuber Rowan Ellis. She mm-hmm. has several good video essays about um, both queer coding and queer baiting. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, absolutely. And that, you know, uh, yeah, look, thinking on it, uh, yeah, you're right. Um, and it's, it's one of those things that's one of those things that I didn't. I think part of it is that because I've seen this movie so many times yeah. and I saw it at, at a time where that wasn't even something on my radar that 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 character doesn't trigger those mm-hmm. like alarm bells in my head the way it would if I saw a movie for the first time now. I think right. I would see that yeah. more. Um, but yeah, no, it's a really, yeah. At super super apt point um you know i think it is one of those things that just hasn't aged particularly well yeah and i think you probably wouldn't get the exact same depiction today i agree with you that i do think there is a way to do his character without having it be quite so queer coded because i think there's a there's a yes because what 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 it I think the way to do this, you know, and maybe hot take, maybe Princess Bride deserves a remake. Um, <laughs> that is a piping hot take. <laughs> I mean, not really, but like <laughs> this is one of those elements because I think there's actually a, a lot that could be done in terms of taking Wesley and Humperdinck as all of the elements of positive masculinity in mm-hmm. Wesley versus all of the elements of toxic masculinity. Yeah, two sides and of the same coin. And I think a lot of those elements are there mm-hmm. in the, in the original, like in the, in this movie, but Wesley has a handful of the toxic elements still. Yeah. And Humperdinck has hit is part of his, toxic masculine because i think he does have you know that that again that pompous tryhard narcissistic mm-hmm. um uh a demand or d- desire of ownership and and like uh power and just his um all of these elements that are that are not like queer coded that's just the bad elements of his character but on top of that he also has the the, the elements of it like you said that, that are sort of more queer coded i think 
tweaking both of those characters Mm -hmm. slightly could prevent or present a really compelling and um, a really compelling uh, dichotomy of masculinity in a way that was really cool. But, I agree. And I think the movie does it a little bit. It's just, it does it in 1980s version. Yeah. Which is not great. <laughs> yeah, it's doing it in 1987. Yeah. So in the fire swamp, uh, there's in the book, Buttercup sees the ROUSs before they attack. Mm-hmm. And Wesley just has her ignore them. And I prefer the movie's version where Buttercup doesn't. Yeah. Where D- Buttercup doesn't see them. And then Wesley tries to, like, he's like, oh, rodents of a usual size? I don't think they exist. <laughs> Slam. <laughs> such a great moment. It's such a great moment. It's an moment. amazing exchange. Yeah. And we don't get that in the book because she's, she's, she's already seen him. Yeah. So I, I prefer the movie version of that. So when they get out of the fire swamp, the movie makes a change uh, to what buttercup says as she leaves with humperdinck and i I liked this change uh the movie has her specifically going with him in a bid to try and save wesley whereas in the book it's not super clear what her motivations are um and it's not a good look for her um she says like i can live without love as she's leaving him um she says that in the movie no, she doesn't. I swear. Or no, she said. No, what is she? She says. Uh, no, she says I've She's, lost you. Yeah, or, she I've, says like I lost. I thought you were dead once and it almost killed me. Yes. I could not bear to lose you again. Not when I can save you. OK, sorry. Yes, you're right. Whereas in in the book, it seems to more play into this idea that like her heart still has to grow three sizes. OK, that's fair. And I prefer the movie's version. Yes. Don't disagree. Uh. The book also doesn't have the line where Wesley is conf- confronts Count Rugen after they leave the fire swamp and they're going to take him prisoner. Uh, he says to him in the movie, you have six fingers on your right hand. Someone was looking for you. Yeah. Line's not in the book. And it's a great little line. Great little reminder for us as the audience. Mm-hmm. A fun little line for Rugen because he's it spurs his clubbing him over the head. And it, I just I, I love that. It also feels a very Wesley line like that. Yeah. Toying with even even as he's defeated, you know, he's, you know, captured. He's still. I also. Oh, they they pull in on that six fingered hand, which I assume is like some kind of animatronic thing. No, I assume it's just a, a glove with an extra finger that it's like a stuffed finger. But and when the he, whole thing moves. Yeah, but I, probably because it just, moves so inhumanly. It's so creepy. I assume he just moves all five fingers and just the nature of your hand moving moves the sixth. You know I what guess. I mean? I bet that's what it is. I guess it just. But it is a little so, spidery. Yeah, it looks so spidery and gross. Yeah, yeah it's a little spidery Blech. the way it, the way it moves in that particular moment. And also because he's wearing a leather glove, you get the yeah. like the leather glove sound. It like so it adds like almost like a bug sound Blech. effect. Yeah. I love so we get to the pit of despair. Uh the albino is the same character, the caretaker of the, yeah, the he's zoo basically of death. The same. Um but little the thing that the movie does that's a fun gag is he when he's talking to Wesley the first time, he's like, You're in the pit. <coughs> 
the pit of despair. Yeah, I, I like. We yeah. both had that note. I love that moment. Yeah, and it's not from the book. He doesn't actually talk in the book at all. He just nods and stuff. I'm pretty sure. Well, oh well, he, he does talks, talk to him he eventually. Talks to Wesley. Yeah, but yeah, he not as much as he talks in the movie. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, another line that's not in the book when <laughs> after Wesley is murdered by uh, Humperdinck, I think that's when this. No, no, no. It's after uh, Buttercup is announced as the yeah, bride. Yeah, after and, she has the dream. And he's like, what? No, you're reading it wrong. Blah, blah, blah. And then we get, we find out it's a dream. And then it cuts back and we hear uh, <laughs> we hear the kids say, I told you she'd never marry Humperdinck or something like that. And grandfather says, yes, you're very smart. Shut up. <laughs> Not in the book. <laughs> Great line. Love it so much. It's a line that I still say in my life a lot. Yes, yeah. you're very smart. Shut up. <laughs> Count Rugen, spot on in the movie. Uh, Christopher Guest plays him perfectly. This particular line is from the book. When he asks Wesley, uh, he's like, I'm going to take notes because he's writing his book on pain or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he says, now, uh, do, I don't know the lead into this line. He says, do um, speak clearly or something like that. This is for, for posterity. And he's it's a great line. I love that line. I don't know why, but he in the book, he says that before he starts torturing him. Mm -hmm. And in the movie, he says it right after he's finished torturing him and Wesley is moaning. And I think it's a it's much more effective after while Wesley is like, again, in in like horrible agony. It's like, do speak clearly. This is for posterity. Like it's it's much more insidious in that moment than before, in my opinion. So we. Uh, we get to Miracle Max's hut. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I skipped one of your. No, you're fine. It was just there's a moment in the book where Inigo says something is inconceivable. Oh, yeah. That... And I and the movie cuts that and I preferred cutting it. I don't like the idea of Inigo. I don't hate it, but I don't also don't love the idea of Inigo like picking up Vizzini's yeah. like. No, that, that should be a Vizzini line yeah. only. Yeah. And he says Inigo's like inconceivable. And I'm like, nah, mm-hmm. don't like that. No. Don't do it. Yep. Uh, when we so when we get to uh, Miracle Max's hut, a line that was not in the book. Um, when well, Fezzik does say in the book, "I'm on the brute squad." Yeah. But what is not in the book is his response. <laughs> Billy Crystal's <laughs> response. You are the brute squad. You are the brute squad. <laughs> which I'm sure is a just. I, I guarantee I that wasn't in the yes, script. I, I guarantee, guarantee you he ad libbed that. Was that. Billy Crystal? I yeah. Any of the lines, and we'll talk about another one here right now including maybe one of the better changes. And because it's actually a callback in the book, it's like the last line of the book is this line, but they change it in the movie. So um, Wesley, they're bringing him back, blah, 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 or trying to bring him back to life. And uh, Inigo says to him, you heard him. He said, true love. There's nothing Mm -hmm. uh, more more pure nothing better than true love and and matt miracle max says ah true love is the best thing in the world except for and in the book he says cough drops yeah uh true love is the best thing in the world except for cough drops and that's actually the last line in the the, it, it gets called back to uh william goldman in the last line as the narrator says and i still think the best thing is cough drops or something yeah. like that but in the movie, it is changed to 
uh, true love, it's the best thing, except for a nice mutton lettuce tomato where the mutton is sliced nice and thin. Mm. <laughs> like, it, it's such a better moment. Cough drops is boring. Boo. Yeah, Get dumb. cough drops out of here. Mutton lettuce tomato. <laughs> Because it's it's anachronistic because it's a BLT, but he switches it to MLT. Yeah. It's it's just so it's much a, better. It's a precursor to that Trek style, yes, anachronistic like fairy tale world. Ugh, it's so good, and Billy uh, mutton slice nice and thin. Mm, yeah, so good, so much better. <laughs> Another line, not in the book, iconic. <laughs> Have fun storming the castle. Have fun storming the castle. They go to work. Take a miracle. That is in the book. Yeah, right? that is in the yeah. book. But it's yeah, the half fun storm in the castle. They made a, they made improvements yeah. to it. Half fun storm in the castle is yeah, not in the book. This is a little detail, but I think it's weird. the The book or the pill, the miracle pill in the book, is only supposed to last an hour. Yeah. Whereas in the movie, it just it takes a while to take effect, and then it just seems like he's just back to life. Yeah. But it's like a slow build in the book. It's implied that it's like it lasts an hour, but it's unclear what happens when that hour ends, whether he might die or he might just like faint and have to like recover. Yeah, it's it's very unclear what happens after that hour. And it's I I found it just tedious, like kind of like unclear and annoying. Yeah, it is really hard to follow in the book. It's never clear what's supposed to happen, which I think is on purpose. But then, like, nothing really happens. Yeah. Even though we were literally counting the minutes until the pill ran out. He dies again. He, like, flops over, but then he gets right back up. He gets right back up, and there's a line about how it's... Oh, there's some line explaining what... it's still vague and weird, and I just I think it's just the movie's uh, yeah. version. Just the movie's works version better. works a lot better. It's a lot cleaner. I'm just not sure what I was supposed to get from I the agree. book's version. I agree. Uh, yeah, I wasn't a big fan of that. Uh, one of our lines from our episode and the "Let me sum up" line. Yeah. Uh, let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Uh, it's better in the movie because it's yeah. much shorter. It's a much longer line in the book. Like, it's kind of clumsy in the book. I don't want to say clumsy necessarily. It's still basically the same line. It's just not as succinct in a way that is less satisfying. Let me tell you what's been going on. No, there's too much. It would take too long. Let me distill it for you. Yeah. (sighs) Movie's version is way better. Way better. Way more succinct. Let me explain. No, there's too much. Let me sum up. Yeah. I don't know what your next note means. (laughs) The the west the moment where they yeah the, it's yeah, the same okay, note the that you same have note that yeah. I have I thought it might be but I wasn't sure yeah it's the same note. yeah where the, where uh, Fezzik and Indigo put their hands in yeah like go team like a go team moment and, and Wesley, Wesley like flops <laughs> <laughs> his his still recovering arm on top is a, a hilarious moment that is not in the book I really prefer that in the movie Wesley does not. We don't see Wesley stand mm-hmm. until the big final moment where he confronts Hufferdin. Yes, they're just it's like in, dragging him. They're around. dragging him around. It's implied that he walked away at some point, but we don't yeah. see it. Um, but he could have dragged. He could have like crawled. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know. And I think it's way more dramatic that he we don't see him walk because in the, in the book he's walking like struggling, mm-hmm. but he's walking through most of the ending yeah, of the book. Yeah, just slow, just slow and kind of like yeah, uh, un- unsteadily. Also, if he was walking, 
uh, throughout the end of the movie, we wouldn't get the fantastic moment where Fezzik has to like bear hug him yeah. into some armor and hang <laughs> him there, which is a great gag. Uh, that is not in the book because Wesley can just stand at that point. Yeah. I love Buttercup's confrontation of Humperdinck as they're up at the altar and they can hear like the commotion outside. So mm -hmm. they know that something's happening. Um, and I particularly love the line, then why is there fear behind your eyes? Why is there fear behind because your we eyes? know she sees through him at yes. this point. She sees right through him. Right through him. Uh, I love the interaction uh, between Hump, uh, not Humperdinck, Buttercup and the king. Yeah, the, the as old he's king. walking her to her uh, honeymoon suite or whatever. Uh, he does walk her, the king and queen walk her to the the suite in the book, but they don't really talk. Yeah, and in the movie, is great line where she's like, oh, "You've always been so nice to me. That's why it's a shame that I'll not talk to you anymore." I'm, you see, I'm killing myself tonight, and he's like, and then she kisses him, and he's like, "That's nice." She kissed me. That <laughs> great exchange is straight up exactly how it feels to tell someone you're depressed and have them respond like, love and light. <laughs> <laughs> Won't that be nice? I'm killing myself when we get to the honeymoon suite. Won't that be nice? Yeah. Yep, that's how that feels. <laughs> this line is kind of in the book earlier, kind of, but not really. It's changed, and and there's during the the ranking of the women earlier. There's a line about breasts mm -hmm. or something, um, but it's been moved here, and I I think it's better here. Oh well, it's actually it's in it is it's, it's in, in that the scene. book. It's just tweaked. It's tweaked. I think it's just better in the movie. Um, there's a shortage of perfect breasts in the world. It would be a pity to spoil yours. As she's about to stab herself, uh, was Wesley Sisters. Great line, and it's it's in the book, similar, but it's just again cleaner, better. Mm -hmm more memorable in the movie. So she's like, oh, after she runs over to Wesley, she's like, I got married. Oh, no, I got married. This is a disaster. And he's like, in the in the movie, he's like, oh, did he say man and wife? And she's like, well, no, we skipped that part. And he's like, no, it's it's I do. Or sorry, yeah. did he say I do? And she's like, no, we skipped that part. Or did you say I do? No, we skipped that part. Well, you didn't get married then. And in the book, that's not what happens. He's just like, Oh, widows are made every day. Yeah. Essentially implying, well, I'm just going to murder him. So it's fine. It's fine. Who cares? Like, yeah, you got married, but like, I'm going to kill him. So you won't be married anymore. But he also doesn't kill him. He also doesn't so kill him. Yeah. In the book. Like, right, right. weird, yeah. So, but I, 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 I like the movie's version. Although I will say that it doesn't make sense how he knows. Yeah. That that happened. Yeah, he wouldn't know. He that. wouldn't know that they didn't say I, I yeah. do. He wasn't there. Like I don't. I don't know how he knew that. But uh, I prefer their that conversation mm -hmm. there. So the fight between Inigo and Rugen, mm -hmm. pretty close. Uh, essentially, yeah. But they make a few small changes that I yeah yeah that better. I think are uh, yeah all better. Um, one they uh the it takes place in. A, the banquet hall mm -hmm. in the movie, whereas in the book it's described as taking place in like a billiards room. There's yeah. a billiards table, yeah. I, which seems anachronistic. Maybe it's not. I don't know. I don't know does, how old does billiards it matter? is. Doesn't matter. But I don't know how old <laughs> billiards is. But uh, the the big fire in the banquet hall and the yeah. tables. This is more dramatic. Yeah. Then like the giant uh, candelabras. Yeah. And... It's a much more dramatic setting for it to take place. Yeah. Also, once so the fight that transpires is almost identical in terms mm -hmm. of like what, like the blows that are exchanged and everything. It's basically identical. And then getting to the final killing blow first, 
in the book, it's much more brutal. Inigo like slices around his heart or something. Yeah, he and like cuts his heart out. It's like going to cut his heart out, or he he's he begins cutting his heart out, and then Count Rugen has a heart attack. Mm-hmm. Essentially, he dies of fright, is what he said. Like he, yeah, it's implying that he like has a heart attack and then dies. But the big change, and it's a little change, but it's a big change, is to the final line, in my opinion. Yeah, and you had the same note. Yeah, uh, in the in the book, he says, "I want Domingo Montoya." I want Domingo Montoya back, you son of a yeah. bitch. Which the movie changes to, "I want my father back, you son of a bitch," which is way more way emotionally better. impactful. Way more emotionally charged. It, he he doesn't need to say his whole name. Just yeah. my father is, is. There's so much more energy. There's so much more emotion mm-hmm. there than saying his yeah. actual name. Um, and real quick. On the subject of uh, Inigo not cutting his, trying to cut his heart out. In in the movie, Inigo actually only delivers the exact same blows that Rugen has already given to him. And he does that in the book at first. He does the same thing. And even the book specifically says mirroring the wounds or something like Mm -hmm. that 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 he gave him. But yes, then he does that weird heart thing. It's just. uh, Yeah. And I I think having him only give back the exact same wounds, there's something very poetic about that. And it also makes Inigo feel more heroic and less. Yeah. A little less like bloodthirsty. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like he is. He's there for revenge, but like it's a little more. He's there for like. He's there to return. Eye for an eye versus what? like, yeah. yeah. Like, I, now I'm going to like torture you or something. And not that he tortured, but it, 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 it's, it's, it's a little, yeah, it's just better in the movie. Also, I don't think you could cut someone's heart out with a fencing. With a rapier? rapier. Mm, I don't think not, not a great cutting work. sword. No, m- much more of a I stabbing sword. I feel free sword. to correct me if you know more about swords than I, I, I do. I know enough about swords. I'm not saying you couldn't work. do it with a rapier. I think you could, but it's not made for I that sort of thing. I think you'd have a hard time. The movie does a very good job with rapiers. They do too many cuts. They slash more than you would with rapiers. But in terms of when they inflict wounds to people, it's almost always stabbing mm-hmm. and not like they're not cutting off limbs yeah. and stuff like that, which is what you do <laughs> with rapiers. You you, you, stab. you stab people with them. They have edges. You can cut with them, but they're not made for cutting. Right. But it's always, yeah, like kind of little slices. Yeah. So the big confrontation between uh, Humperdinck and Wesley mm. Very similar. Yes. Movie again. Yeah. Little changes that I think just work better. They rearrange the order of some of the lines where they put, he introduces the idea of to the pain in the book at the beginning mm-hmm. and then other stuff happens and then they get back to what that is like. Yeah. Towards the end. Yeah. The movie just rearranges it in a way that feels like it flows better and makes way more sense. Also, it has some of my favorite lines that are just purely not from the book at all, including it's possible pig, which I say all the time. And I feel bad about it. <laughs> it's one of those lines that I say to people, people like ask me a question. And I'll be like, it's possible pig. And I'm like, I can't say that to people. It's a bad thing to say to people. But because of this movie, I, and I think it all the time just because of this movie, um, including there's a handful of other lines that I just love so much. Yeah. Uh, my absolute favorite exchange, maybe in the whole movie, honestly, uh, which is not in the book, 
is um, when Wesley says, I'll explain and I'll use small words so you'll be sure to understand, you <laughs> warthog-faced <laughs> buffoon. That was one of the, the warthog-faced <laughs> buffoon was one of my, one and of my. says, that may be the first time in my life a man has dared insult me. And Wesley fires back, it won't It'll be, be the last. last. <laughs> yeah. You miserable vomitous mass, which was another one of my favorite lines from the movie. I use miserable vomitous mass all the time. Miserable vomitous mass. It's such a good insult. And I had another note here, which you've now made me rethink, and I thought about it. As I said, I will never get over the way Humperdinck grabs his cape to go sit yeah. in the chair. Like but his I, big, it's his big sleeves. Yeah, or he sleeves or whatever. Up, yeah. But the way he grabs them up always made me laugh. But it, you are making me rethink on it that that is one of those moments that feels flouncy and like yeah, it's a little effeminate, effeminate, queer coded, and, and, it, and, it, and it does. Um, it is funny. It is funny. But I, I think it is something to consider because I, yeah. I never thought about that angle of it. Like that maybe that's something that like that I was the reason I found it funny maybe was had something to do with that. It's not something I ever thought about. It's really uh, an interesting thing to consider. So um, but I still I still find it funny. Just going to examine <laughs> yeah. the fact that maybe there's some weird thing going maybe on. Maybe there. There's stuff going on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, in the book, d- during this exchange afterwards, he tells Buttercup to tie her up and she something happens. I don't remember what she says something back to Wesley. She says like, well, maybe you should do it. Yeah. You're better at tying knots or something. And then, yes, that's what it is. And then Wesley yells at her. You're the property of the dread pirate Roberts and you'll do what you're told. And I was like, what just happened? Yeah. Comes out of nowhere. It comes out of nowhere. And it's like, all of a sudden he's back in, and I like, don't know if maybe that's su- maybe that's mo- supposed to be a show for Humperdinck. Maybe? I don't know. I don't know. It, but it is a weird moment, and I'm glad that the movie didn't do that. There's a whole all of that. There's weird BDSM vibes about this whole scene. <laughs> I'm not kidding because if there's a specific line, like there's that, like you're the property of me, you'll do what you're told. But also, there's a line in the book specifically that, and I, I can see if I can find it. I don't, I don't have a page number. Where when he's when she's tying him up, here we go. Buttercup gathered the sashes and did what she could with tying up her husband Humperdinck. Humperdinck lay flat while she did it. He seemed strangely happy. I, again, I think implying. All he ever wanted was to be dominated. Tied up, like to be tied. Like. I think again. I think this goes back to your like your the queer coding like effeminate like. Uh-huh. I don't know. I think there's some weird. I don't know. I, it just felt. I remember there's, reading that there's line. There's something going. There's on There's something there. going on there. I read that line. I was like, I don't. I don't know what it mean? is, but there's something feels, going on there. Feels weird. Feels. I'm not sure what the book's getting at here. I love the tease. That Inigo is going to become the next Dread Pirate Roberts. Yes. Because that's not in the book. Mm -mm. And you know what? Screw Buttercup's Baby, which is the unfinished sequel to The Princess Bride. Right. I want a sequel about the Dread Pirate Inigo. That's that's what I would want. Absolutely. Um, I just want a Pirates of the Caribbean style film with Inigo... (laughs) Being a pirate. Yeah. Absolutely. And they can all just be on board yeah. the pirate ship, and then Buttercup can be like a pirate queen. Oh. It would be great. You're just describing Pirates of the Caribbean. I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> but yeah, absolutely. I no, I agree 100%. So uh, in the book, we get this uh, happily ever after ending Mm -hmm. that the father reads to the kid. And Mm -hmm. and that's how the book ends. But then Goldman cuts in and is like in his italic, you know, in the italics is like, so that's how my father always read it to me. But actually, the real ending, I realized years later when I read the original version, isn't quite so happy. And it and it turns out that as they were running away on the horses, uh, Inigo's wound like bursts open and a bunch of bad things happen all at once. And it's implied that maybe they don't get away and survive, but it's also not explicitly said that they don't. It's left open ended, Mm -hmm. but like more dire. Yeah. And I prefer the movies just happy ending. Yeah, just let them ride off into the sunset, man. They've been through a lot. Yeah. Yeah, just let them it's just have a happy ending. Again, they could still have a happy ending in the book, but it's yeah. we don't know. And it, I just give them that. It's this what this is, just happy ending. And then my last note for the movie is, as the grandpa's leaving after he finishes reading the story, Fred Savage is like, hey, maybe you can come read it tomorrow. And the grandpa turns to him, and in the same angle that Wesley did, exact same framing and everything that Wesley said earlier, he says, as you wish. And it's it's a fun little moment, but... I also was thinking about it a little bit more and I was like, you know, there's this line earlier in the movie that in retrospect makes that line a little bit more meaningful than I think I even mm-hmm. thought it was originally is that as the grandfather's reading the story, he says something along the lines of, uh, and buttercup, uh, what buttercup didn't realize that every time Wesley said, as you wish, what he actually was saying was, I love you. Yeah. And then tying that back in with him saying, as you wish mm. at the end, it's like a sweet little, yeah. like he's saying, I love you without saying, eh, it's, a, it's a nice little ending. And I brought it full circle. Um, I, I, I really like that. So, All right. <laughs> Where are we at? We're, we're at the movie Nailed It. And we're at another hour and 10 minutes in. So only four more pages of notes. Sorry. We can speed through this. Yes, one. let's. Let's go. Speed Let's run. do it. I have to edit this still, and it's already 8 o'clock. I know. As I expected, practically perfect in every way. When Buttercup is kidnapped by Inigo, or by, you know, Vizzini and mm-hmm. them, the dialogue, word for word. Yep. There's a handful of scenes, and we'll talk about them, or we'll mention them over the course of this, but that, that scene literally word for word every single line that that transpires there is identical obviously we just discussed a lot of changes here and there but in general and in spirit mandy patinkin and andre the giant understood the assignment absolutely they're so spot on yeah they they're nailed so spot it on. they're just perfect uh in specific a uh, very specific little moment the i only doggy paddle yes <laughs> great moment which is in the book um and then during the 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 that scene with the screeching eels, when Fred Savage becomes distraught, uh, that is a thing that happens in the book. And I love that the uh, the the father in the book, the grandfather in the mm-hmm. movie, both of them reassure yeah, the they, young they child. Stop to be like, it's fine. She doesn't die. She doesn't get <laughs> eaten. Like that's a, that same line is yeah. in both of them. Uh, basically, everything about the climb up the cliffs of insanity. Mm-hmm. Is there uh, the left-handed reveals when they get to the top and they fight? Yes. Um, originally, I didn't remember that in the movie 
Inigo, and I've I've seen this movie a thousand times. I forgot that Inigo told Vizzini, I'm going to duel him with my left hand. Mm -hmm. It's the only way it'll feel fair. Because as I was reading the book this time, I was like, oh, this is actually really clever. I actually really like this in the book that because we get Inigo's thoughts. Right. And we know he's like, I'm going to duel him with my left yeah, hand. Yeah, so we know he's bluffing. So we know he's bluffing. And I liked, I was like, oh, in the movie, in my head, I was like, oh, we think, we don't know either of them are left or right-handed. Mm -hmm. And I was wrong about that. Because I thought that was actually a really clever reveal of, like, us knowing Inigo's right-handed, but he's using his left. But us not knowing Wesley is. Mm -hmm. And then that reveal. But it's the same. Yeah, in the it's the, the same movie. in the movie. So it's, yeah, it's spot on. I just misremembered yeah. it. But one of the things that I never thought about was how the actors had to... I straight yeah. up never thought about this. Yeah, they had to train with both hands. Both hands. That fight is so impressive, period. And then I was like, wait a second. They did half that fight with their left hands. Yeah. Or or they built an identical set in mirror <laughs> version and shot it all backwards and just reversed it. And they did it all with their right hands. I think that's unlikely. Yeah. But wildly impressive because I don't know if... Like, I, I, I've i held a sword in my right hand, and you can swing it around, and, like, I feel fairly comfortable holding a sword mm -hmm. in my right hand. You put it in your left hand, I'm like, I don't, this is a whole different thing. You know, I, it's a, I thought you were going to say, and I feel fairly cool. No. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, I do feel fairly cool anytime I'm holding a sword, regardless <laughs> of hand. But, no, I'm just, like, it's wildly impressive that mm -hmm. they were able to be do that level of choreography yeah. with both hands. Yeah. Maybe they lucked out and they were both just vaguely ambidextrous <laughs> to begin with. It seems unlikely, but who knows? Um, but yeah, I was just blown away by that. Also, unless Wesley was an idiot, he would know Inigo was right-handed in the movie, at least. Yeah. Um, as we see Inigo, his, uh, his sword sheath is on, oh, yeah, his, left on his hip. Yeah. Which you, if you're right, that's where you keep it if you're right-handed because it's easier to draw. If he was, if he was left-handed, he wouldn't have the sword on mm -hmm. that side. So Wesley would know that I mean, he was lying. Couldn't say the same about no, because Wesley. Oh, he has it across. He his... has it over his shoulder because oh, he's climbing okay. right, the cliff. Right, 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 right. So yeah. he put it around his shoulder. It's not on like a. It's just yeah. like on his back basically, and he pulls it off. And pulls the sword out with his left hand. So we don't, you mm. actually wouldn't know that Wesley was lying. But Wesley would 100% know that Inigo <laughs> was bluffing. It's a little detail, but I was like, eh, thought it was interesting. I thought this is great. A little detail. As Inigo's waiting on the top of the cliff for Wesley, mm -hmm. this is a little thing that's described in the book. He's like snapping his fingers to like warm up his hands. And it's exactly what uh, Mandy yeah. Patinkin does. He's like doing these like hand snaps and stuff as he's waiting for him I, again i love yeah. it and a lot of the like dialogue and banter while he's climbing up is pretty much the same as it is in the book and the movie yeah our guess ho guess who quote yes <laughs> from the book who are you i must know get used to disappointment the only thing that's not is indigo going okay <laughs> <laughs> which is not in the book but also you put down your rock and I'll put down my sword and we'll try to kill each other like civilized people. Mm -hmm. Truly, you have a dizzying intellect. Uh, the whole battle of the wit scene. Yeah. Almost almost word for word other than a few good edits. Yeah, by the, the movie, movie made some good edits, but it's pretty much all there. Yeah. Uh, once they get out of the fire swamp, 
I love uh, Buttercup's like. She yells something. She says like, um, "Will you let him live?" or something. And mm-hmm. Humperdinck goes, "What was that?" And Wesley turns and goes, "What was that?" <laughs> they both say, "What was that?" like that in the book. Love it. Uh, also, the story about how Wesley became the Dread Pirate Roberts. There, there are edits here and there, yeah. but it's essentially the same. Same story. names of the people that yeah. came before him, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, we talked about it, but the nightmare with the booing lady and the yes. the Queen of Putrescence. Yeah, that was the the only addition. Queen of Putrescence yeah. is not in the book. Um, yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah, brilliant addition. Other than that, it's all the same. Yeah, the Queen of Filth. Yeah. Also, with that marriage fake out, uh, Goldman talks about how he told his dad he was reading it wrong. And then his dad, yeah. like, stops reading it for the night and, like, leaves. Yeah. He's like, you're getting, you're clearly getting upset or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mentioned it, but Chris, Christopher Guest is the perfect Count Rugen. He's so good. Uh, he's His delivery on every line, he's so, like, sociopathic. Mm-hmm. Like, he comes across just... Mm-hmm. Ah, exactly how you imagine Count Rugen. Uh, I love this line. This is one of my favorite. Keep your hoe there. <laughs> I will not budge. Keep your hoe there. <laughs> Such a good line from the book. Uh, and I asked you this in the very first episode because it's one of my favorite. It's a shot that stuck in my head as a kid is that one shot of the stuff that Fezzik feeds oh, the Inigo, beef stew. the beef stew. Yeah. And there's a very specific line about Fezzik cooking beef stew yes. for Inigo. And that's the shot. Um, but yeah. that one particular shot, like I said, go back in the, in the very first episode we did something about the way that is shot is out of place for the cinematography of the rest of the movie, the way it's lit, something about it doesn't feel like it matches, but I still love it, and it makes me want beef <laughs> stew every time I see it, and I don't even really like beef stew that I much. love that scene because it looks a lot like my mom's beef stew. It looks like everybody's mom's kid. beef stew. <laughs> I know, but it also makes me want beef stew. Yes, yes, I agree. I just make beef stew. It's true. I do love, so when uh, she confronts Humperdinck, Buttercup confronts Humperdinck about... Um, not actually sending her letters out. She's like, he's like, oh, and then all of my ships will take us on our honeymoon. And she goes, oh, but you're four fastest. And he like, he's like, forgets that yeah. he said that. And uh, in the book, it's Tells described that he blinks in that moment. And it's described that in that moment when he blinks, Buttercup yeah. realizes that he's been lying. And that's exactly what happens in the movie. He he stops, he pauses, and he actually does blink in the movie. I looked specifically. He, like, <laughs> waits, and then he starts to talk, and he, like, blinks twice, like, very distinctly. And I was like, yep, there it is. Yeah. And then her subsequent confrontation of him um, and the line specifically, Wesley and I are joined by the bond of love, and you mm. cannot track that, not with a thousand bloodhounds, and you cannot break it, not, not with, with a thousand, thousand swords. swords. Yes, so good. Uh and then at, right after that, he runs down and murders Wesley. And the the dialogue, the, the monologue he gives mm-hmm. to Wesley about um, as he's about to kill him is I, I, I looked at this while we were watching the movie. It is exactly word yeah. for word. It's maybe the there's a lot of scenes that are word for word. this month. They didn't change a single word of the entire spiel he gives is exactly ripped straight from the book. Mm-hmm. That like whole paragraph. Also, then when Wesley (laughs) 
gets starts dying and is, and he starts screaming. Yeah, the scream of ultimate suffering. Yeah. And we get the exact same thing in the movie as we do in the book where we it, it cuts to like Buttercup and she's like, I don't know what that is. And then it cuts to like people in the square and they like look and they're like, ah. And then it's like we get we get all these little vignettes of people like can be like what's that sound and then it cuts to inigo and he's the only one who realizes it's the scream of ultimate suffering it's the sound (laughs) my heart made when my father was slain (laughs) or when the six-fingered man slayed my father or whatever (laughs) the man in black makes it now uh and then they have to go find uh wesley and fezzik doesn't uh get everybody out of the way by yelling at them he actually like bowls through them in the book which is fun but he does yell quiet at one point Mm-hmm. And gets everybody in the street to like shut up because <laughs> he's <laughs> a big giant. Also, when Fred Savage interjects and is like, who kills Humperdinck mm-hmm. after Wesley dies? He's like, wait, Wesley dies. He can't die. Who kills Humperdinck? That happens in the book. But the so it's the same interaction. But the movie, it's a little bit better because I think the movie moves it after Wesley, we see Wesley die. Yeah. Whereas in the book, it happens right before Wesley yeah. dies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a subtle change, but I, I like it a little bit more. But it's essentially exactly the same. Also, in the book, he like he like balls his eyes out for mm-hmm. a while and like cries and it's like comes to terms with like a, a character he likes dying, which the movie doesn't get that you know intense or whatever. Right. Uh, Miracle Max using the bellows to make Wesley talk. To, to blow, yeah. to bluff. He needs to bluff. So. He owes you money. Yeah. Well, the movie, I think it's actually slightly better in the movie, a slight tweak, because in the book he's like, ah, he was probably playing cards and he owes, he wants, somebody owes him money or something. Yeah. Where in the movie he's like, you guys were probably playing cards and he owes you money. Like yeah. it, he yeah, takes yeah. it back on Inigo. And I think it makes more sense why Inigo would want him, like the motivation for Inigo wanting to bring him back to life so he can pay him or something. I don't know. Anyways. Mm-hmm. Also, the line, humiliations galore, yes. <laughs> which is right out of the book, and I love that. Um, and then uh, the bishop, who in the credits they call the impressive clergyman. Yes. Um, he's in there. Uh, he does talk like Elmer Fudd. Yeah. Uh, most of his best lines are from the book. Oh, yeah, all of them. Yeah. yeah. Mer- marriage and everything, yeah. A dweem within a, a dweem. Um, which that is also a little moment that feels a little bit like the satire of like the political the political yeah, yeah, satire yeah. from the original made up book yeah. <laughs> kind of thing uh flaming fezzik when they light flip fezzik on fire and then they threaten to tear the arms off of yellen the yeah the the head of security <laughs> oh you mean this gate key oh you mean this gate key <laughs> i would say that's better in the book only because of his delivery he's like yes. oh you mean this gate key it's such a perfect delivery <laughs> i i don't know how you could do that line any better he just cry. the guy has like six lines in the whole movie and that one line just knocks it out of the park uh Humperdinck during the wedding yelling at the <laughs> man and wife say man and wife yeah exactly what happened <laughs> also the big interaction so all of the guard and I never thought about this before but the reason that when Wesley and them get into the castle when Count Rugen shows up there's four guards with them mm-hmm. and only four guards is because all of the other guards were outside the yes. entire rest yes. of the everybody else was outside out in front of the gate so there's literally Count Rugen and four guards inside the castle that's it and those four guards do attack uh, attack them exactly the same way in the book as they do in the movie and it's described in the book that uh, Inigo fights them all and mm-hmm. he he kills them all and the first the fourth guy dies before the first guy 
finished hitting the ground. And in that scene, the first guy is still falling over. He's he's kind of on the ground, but he's still mostly falling over <laughs> when he's at by the time he stabs the fourth guy. Nice. So they got that very specific little nice. detail. <laughs> and then and then Count Rugen <laughs> runs away. Yes, exactly <laughs> identical. It's it's exactly the same. And then this is a fun little Easter egg. So there's this whole thing that we didn't talk about at all of the the whites. Mm-hmm. Uh, Prince Humperdinck. He doesn't just in the movie. He just rides like a, a regular horse. Mm-hmm. In the book, he rides four white horses that are the the They're most the fastest horses in yeah. the world. He rides four shadow faxes, basically. Um, and as he's riding, he switches from horse to horse so that he doesn't tire any of them out. Like like yeah. mid running, like mid galloping, he like gets onto the other one. Is is how it, it, it reads to me. And when Fezzik shows up at the end in the book, he has the whites, the yeah. four white horses. And in the movie, they're ne- it's it's a little Easter egg. That yeah, you would it's only... a, yeah, a good Easter egg for book readers. Yeah, because you, you don't yeah you don't need to know that in no, the movie. No, no, but... they just found four horses, but they are four white horses, and it's yeah, it's the whites. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then finally, this little line that I felt like might have been a movie ad. It almost felt like an, like an Andre the Giant line. Yeah. I don't know. But uh, when he's sitting there below the window and he's like, uh, there would be four of us if we found the lady. Hello, lady. <laughs> and that line, hello, lady, is out of the book, which I love. So, uh, All right, we've got a few odds and ends, and then we'll get to the final verdict. So uh, the the 30th anniversary has two prefaces, mm-hmm. a, a 25th anniversary and a 30th anniversary yeah. one. Um, and the book itself has a preface, but it has two, intro- whatever, it has two things before. Um, and there's some little things in it that I thought were really interesting. One of them was there's this made up story that um, William Goldman has about taking his son. His grandson. Or his grandson. To the Florin Museum, Florin Museum, yeah, to see the sword, yeah, uh, the six fingered sword. He, it's this whole again. This is where it gets really meta and weird because right, because like, Florin is a made up country. Yes. It's Florin and Gilder, they're not real. They're made up European countries. But there's this whole like conceit that the Princess Bride by S. Morgenstern is a historical a historical text, text yeah. and all of these characters actually existed. Yeah. So they have like all these artifacts in, in a museum. Florin. Yeah, in the museum in Florin. And he goes and sees it and there's this little aside that I thought was really interesting about um Goldman's in the museum looking at the six fingered sword and he's um he sees the kids stare all these kids you know re- like sitting there staring at it because they all love the princess bride because it's a movie where florin exists but also the princess bride the movie exists and mm-hmm. the book exists and he's he's seeing these kids do inigo's lines in like different languages and stuff yeah. and he imagines what it would be like to be the author like to be S. Morgenstern yeah. and seeing this, and it's like, but he is, but the, he is the author. He is the author, and it's it's a little again, it's a little self congrat. I don't. It's very interesting. I don't know. I like it. I think it's a it's a fun little read, um, including the fact that it's like Stephen. King, we mentioned this in the prequel, but like Stephen King is the person who got him gets him yeah. access to like the secret library at this place. It's, it's if you've if you read if you've ever read the princess bride and you haven't read like the 25th or 30th anniversary prefaces they're interesting they're they're worth your time um 
Also, uh, there's a they find a note in when they get into the secret library that has the original notes of mm-hmm. S. Morgenstern about the Princess Bride. They find a note that says that originally in the original version of the story by S. Morgenstern, he was going to have Rugen kill Inigo. Yeah. And the little kid says, wow, he almost screwed up his own book. And it feels like maybe that's Goldman tell you know like yeah. telling on himself a little yeah. bit it is an interesting scene because it does allow him to like reflect on his his impact, his yeah. impact and his like process in writing this without just being like totally like navel gazing yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's 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 a clever way to have a little bit yeah to introspect about the whole process and 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 being the person who wrote The Princess Bride. Yeah. You get to, because it's an interesting thing to discuss and, and to hear his thoughts about. And he gets to do it through this yeah. layer of, you know, remove himself one level slightly. Um, and then in the 25th anniversary version, he has this line about how he, he like goes on and on about how he wishes he could have written The Princess Bride. Yeah. And it's like, okay. <laughs> All right, man. All right, buddy. All right. <laughs> And then he's talking about the screenplay that he was working on of it. And he, he's in the hospital or something. And <laughs> I don't remember the context of this, but they, he wants to do a reading of the screenplay in this hospital. And mm-hmm. his wife is there and she's like, I can read Buttercup. And he scoffs and says she's too old, which is the Goldman Ugh. that is the the gross Goldman. That yeah. Is, <laughs> yeah. Uh, he also has a line about how once the script is written, the hard work is done in a film. Shooting is just the factory putting the car together. And I was like, a writer would say that. <laughs> yeah, a writer Fuck would. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Also, a little detail. Goldman mentions being a gold uh, Bears fan mm-hmm. as a kid. And uh, Fred Savage in the movie has a big yeah. Bears poster behind his bed. There's a little detail that I thought was fun. Also, another little detail that I thought was interesting is Goldman's weird writing. Did you notice this? Goldman has a very unique, a several, two unique writing style things that I, I don't know if I've ever seen used in the same way that he does. Um, he has a writing order that he uses for words fairly often, especially in the early parts of the book, mm-hmm. that felt antiquated like a, to like me. Like a style structure, like a yes. sentence structure. Well, and, and here's one example. He says... I didn't have to interrupt my reading for anything, but now and then a little food. Yeah. Whereas I feel like norm, like at least currently that would normally be written. I didn't have to interrupt my reading for anything, but a little food now and then. Yeah. It it does feel antiquated. It feels older. And there's a a bunch of those where that happens, where that Mm -hmm. he moves the sentence structure is slightly different than what I would expect. Also, he uses commas like they're going out of style. We love commas. He uses commas like, Oh my, he sprinkles those mother, like there's, there's sentences. That's that, also like, that's an antiquated writing style. I thing. am jealous. I was like, can I do this? I was, I, there was many moments reading this where I was like, this is how I want to write. I, this is how I feel like when I'm writing, like this is the way I want to use because it, they, I, you can do whatever you want. True. But it does feel very, um, it makes you read it the way I think you're supposed to read it. Yeah. That's like, what it, punctuation it, no, does. No, I, I, <laughs> I understand that, but I, I get that. But it is still one of those things that I feel like n- most people would be like, well, there's way too many commas in this sentence. Mm-hmm. But he uses it in a way that that's how I like to use punctu- punctuation because I read things very like thematically in my, I don't know, maybe thematically not right, but like um, punctuated and like those pauses and stuff he mm-hmm. adds with those 
with those commas. He there's a sentence at one point where he has a comma after damn near every word. Yeah. And it's just it's interesting. And I was I was jealous. I was like, I want to do that. I just want to say up first off how much I love Robin Wright's freckles in this movie. True. They're very cute. Yes. I, I like mean, I like her freckles a lot. She's Robin Wright, so. Yeah. It's very true. <laughs> All right, so here's my note. Wesley is a Mary Sue. Oh, yes. Period. Let's do it. Period. He's a Mary Sue. And it works. It works. But he is like textbook oh. definition. Uh, he's textbook Sue. definition of the like layman's understanding of Mary. I think because isn't the actual definition of Mary Sue a little more nuanced than like what most people think of Mary Sue is like, it's just like a self insert character that like is friends with everybody. Right. But like, I mean, colloquially, everybody thinks it's just like you're good at everything. Well, collo- colloquially, people apply it like just to women. Right. Colloquially, like a, a woman who's good at stuff. Yeah. But I mean, he he's amazing at everything he yes. does. He learns new skills impossibly quickly and is amazing at them impossibly quickly. He's super smart and he possesses possesses knowledge that he reasonably should not have yeah. when it's convenient to the story. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Indigo trains for a decade with all of the Swordmasters. He trains for, like, his life. At least 10 years. Yeah. At least 10 years. Like, from the time he's, like, 12 to, like, 25. Like, at least yeah. 10 or 15 years. With all of the best Swordmasters all over the world. Yeah. Wesley's on a pirate ship for three years with just one pirate crew and is a better swordsman than yeah. it. It's bullshit. Like it's, <laughs> yeah, it's bullshit. It's complete bullshit. Um, I can buy like him being smarter than Vizzini because Vizzini's like a, a hack. Like he's, you know, right. he's pretending. He and, and, thinks he's smart. Yeah. And even Fezzik, like he's just kind of like, he uh, he's quicker than him or whatever, but yeah. like, he's not a better sword. There's no way. There's just no way. <laughs> There's no way. There's no, it's dumb. Um, and yeah, he's just, he's just better at everybody than every, at, or better than everything at everybody. Yeah. And like, I'm not mad about it. Yeah. It works. It, it works. But he is a Mary Sue. Oh, a hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. The sword fighting thing really drove me crazy where it's like, dang. He, he had never picked up a sword. Yeah. And then he got on that pirate ship for three years, and now he's a better sword fighter than Inigo. Okay. Okay. Cool. Great. <laughs> sure. Okay. Speaking of Wesley and his sword, I will never get, I will never not be able to see in the the fire swamp. They're walking through as he's explaining his dread pirate Wesley backstory. Mm-hmm. He's cutting vines, and the very last vine he cuts, I probably talked about this in the, pre, or in the very first time we did this, but... They're cutting. He's cutting these vines with this sword, and the very last vine he cuts, as he's saying the uh, the last part of that line, he cuts it in the wrong spot. Yeah, and it breaks because the the vines are like pre broken, right. and he cuts it like on the right hand side. Like if you're looking at the screen, he cuts it on his or he cuts it on his right hand side, and it breaks on the left. Yeah. And snaps apart, and I will never not be able to see that. I had never noticed that until we watched this movie together, and you pointed it out to me. I will never not be able to see that. Because he gets all of the other ones. He hits in the right spot, or at least close enough that it looks right. And then that one, he completely misses. That was your Aragorn kicking the helmet moment. You got to to point that out You're all welcome. Anytime you watch this movie from now on, when he's walking through the fire swamp and he's explaining all that, and he cuts that last vine, you will never not see that he hits it on the right-hand side and the brakes on the left. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) 
I just want to mention that uh, Fezzik and Inigo are the real bromance of the century. Absolutely. They are also the my last two brain cells meme come to life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so I, I looked up who did the makeup on this mm-hmm. during the Max and Valerie scene. I was like, who did this? Is great old age makeup. Yeah, it's great old age Super makeups. good old age makeups. Old uh, age makeups, if you didn't know, are really very hard. Very difficult. Uh, the makeup supervisor, the head of the makeup department, was Lois Burwell. And uh, I was like, I recognize that name. And I realized who she was immediately. And then I looked and confirmed it. She was a guest judge on like season seven of Face Off. Nice. She, v was like doing Hunger Games or something. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, V Neal was doing like the Hunger Games. And they had to have a guest judge. And it was it's Lois Burwell. She looks a little bit like the... the from the uh, from the Incredibles. The Incredibles. Yeah. The, the costume or the... Yeah. Yes. Edna Mode. Edna Mode. She looks a little yeah. bit like Edna Mode. She's got Who like is, the hair I and believe, the And I believe She's Edna based Mode is designer. based on a designer, yeah. on an actual person. But yeah, Lois Burwell does also look a little, a little bit, bit like, like her. her. Yeah. <laughs> She's got like the glasses and the and bob. The hair, yeah. Um, I also wanted to quickly recommend YouTuber Jill Barrup. Yeah, she's great. Uh, she is a fencer uh, slash stage combatant. And she makes really great video breakdowns of fight scenes from mm-hmm. movies. And she's done both uh, the duel between Wesley and Inigo and Inigo's fight with Count Rugen. Uh, both of those videos are super fascinating. You will learn a lot. Yeah. If you are interested in that, if you want to learn more about how um, stage combat is done, yeah. I totally recommend her. Yeah, she's super great. Um, because So there's, there's lots of people you can go watch, like, breakdowns of fight scenes in movies. And there's some other ones that have done the Wesley and Buttercup, or <laughs> the Wesley and... Uh, you know, Inigo fight and all that sort of thing. And they all, a lot of them come from different angles. Like some mm-hmm. of them come from a more like historical fencing or like a HEMA right. type of angle of like, um, are they using real techniques? How, you know, how good are they? That sort of thing. Her angle, which I think is really, really cool is, um, specifically like storytelling, like yeah. wise, like what yes. is this, what is this what is story? This, this fight story? is telling. She has great videos on the Witcher and all kinds of stuff. Um, and she's also done the fight that you mentioned earlier from yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Super, super fascinating stuff. Uh, my last odds and end note was um, I was today years old when I realized that Inigo is kissing the miracle pill for luck and not like biting part of it off to like activate it. I was today years old when I learned that as well. Right? <laughs> I just thought he was biting it. I swear like, it looks pulling like he's... the pin on a grenade exact, or something. I don't know. Sent as a kid thought he was like like yeah. pulling a piece of it off to like activate it. I'm in retrospect <laughs> like 99% sure he's kissing it for luck. Yeah. I think. I think that makes more sense way than, more than sense. activating it with his teeth. Yes. So, but I literally was like, oh, maybe that's what's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. My last note here is that every time I see Valerie, mm-hmm. who is Miracle Max's wife, every time I see her on screen, I'm not a witch, I'm your wife. I <laughs> really and truly feel like I'm looking into my distant future. <laughs> I mean, it could be worse. Yeah, could be worse. They seem like they're doing all right. <laughs> I would go live in a hut in the woods. Be fine. All right. Before we get to the vinyl verdict, we wanted to do the vinyl verdict. The final <laughs> verdict. We wanted to let you know you could do us a giant favor after 100 episodes and after this epically long uh, revisit of The Princess Bride. You could do us a huge giant favor. You could head over to patreon.com slash this film is lit. Support us for two, five, 15 bucks a month. Get access to bonus content. 
including a backlog uh, of all kinds of ec- extra bonus reviews of stuff that isn't, you know, based on books. We talk about movie, TV shows, all kinds of stuff. We put out a new one of those episodes at least every month, occasionally extra ones on top of that. You get access to that at the $5 level. And then at the $15 level, if you support us there, you get priority recommendation status where if you want us to do a specific book or movie, pay 15 bucks a month, stick around for a couple months, recommend something, it'll get added to the list priority status um, or as soon as we can work it in. So yeah. we have a lot of things on the list, but <laughs> we'll, we'll work it in as soon as, as soon as is humanly possible. Also, you could do us another gigantic favor by heading over to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Goodreads and following us on all of those platforms. Uh, we post all kinds of fun stuff there. Teases for upcoming properties. Our summer, you just today posted our tease for our summer series there. Yes, so if you want to yes. know what we're doing for the summer series, well, we're, uh, well, we're going to announce we're it. We're going to announce it after the final In just verdict. a second. But, but it, also go look at that picture because I was really proud of it. And most importantly, we post our polls there where you can uh, vote on whether you prefer the book or the movie. Or if you don't want to vote, you can also just comment. Tell us mm-hmm. something you liked. Tell us uh, what you felt about the movie, about the book, about our episode about it. Uh, and then we read those comments and comment on them in the prequel episodes. So that's another good reason to listen to the prequel episodes. Also, we we teach you stuff. So yeah, those episodes are vastly underrated. That's all I'm going to say. We put we did we put a lot of effort. In we the probably prequel. put more work we into probably, the prequel episodes yeah. than we do into the main episode. I don't know. That's not true, <laughs> but it's pretty close. We put a lot of work into the prequel episodes, and we think they're pretty interesting. All right, it's time for the final verdict. Now. <laughs> Are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict afterwards. So instead of doing uh, each of us a separate verdict, we just have um, one uh, verdict together. You spoke the words in my heart, so. Yes. We haven't changed our minds from last time. Still giving this one to the movie. The book is a really good read, and we would especially recommend it to fans of Douglas Adams and or Terry Pratchett, and to anyone who really loves the film. You get a lot more of your favorite characters in the book. It's basically a fleshed-out version of the movie. However, there are definitely elements in the book that just haven't aged super well. Not that there aren't elements of that in the movie, but I I think there are far fewer. Uh, The movie is what I would call a perfect storm. It was made in exactly the right place at exactly the right time. It's a comedy masterclass. It's perfectly, exquisitely cast. The ambiguous, Ren-fair, vaguely Europe-in-the-middle-ages vibe and the fact that it occasionally looks like it was shot on the set from a stage production of Robin Hood all adds to its charm. This would not be the same movie if it were made 10 to 15 years later and had expensive sets and CG. It's not trying to be anything other than what it is, and especially like watching it in 2021 when the market has been so oversaturated with quote-unquote gritty media and unnecessary tragic backstories, It's really nice to watch an earnest, sincere adventure story that's totally fine with letting its heroes be heroic and its villains be villainous. So for us, it'll always, always, always be the movie. All right. That's it for our 100th 
episode of this film is lit. It's been a ride. Thank you all for coming along. This is the last. I'm just kidding. It's not the last episode. <laughs> um, in fact, it's so much not the last episode that we have a big summer series coming right up. Katie, if you haven't been following us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, is going to reveal for you right now what that summer series is. I am going to, but also I just realized that this is going to be our 101th episode, and I'm a little mad that we're not doing 101 Dalmatians. Oh! I'm a little mad that I just just thought of that. We blew it. We blew it. We blew it. We're um, sorry. But okay, anyway. this is the last episode. We're giving up. <laughs> we quit. <laughs> Now, up next, we will be kicking off our 2021 summer series with The Hunger Games. I mean, it seems obvious. It was the yeah. last of the big YA. Yeah, it's the last of the big YA adaptations that we haven't done. I, there are others, but like the big, big ones. Yes. You know, there's Maze Runner. There's a million others. But yes, of the big, the big, huge, sensational ones, it's a... Uh, the last one. So, yeah, we're looking forward to it. I've read the series. I have not. Years ago. I don't remember anything yeah. about it. Um, I only saw the first movie. Never saw any of the others. Yeah, I think I saw the first movie. I've never read any of the books, so I'm very excited. Yeah, it should be a lot of fun. I'm really interested to see if my feelings have changed. Mm -hmm. I think I've mentioned it before, but I really liked the first one. And then my feelings on the books went downhill from there. I'm really, really thinking that may be different this time. Well, we'll find out. I'm thinking I may be a much more, um, much more, much more into the themes and ideas. I, I'm thinking the ideas may have <laughs> gone over my head at the time. Maybe not. I could yeah. be wrong. I might just be like, nah, still bad. <laughs> but I'm thinking maybe it went over my head a little bit when I read it when I was like 20 or whatever, or whenever mm -hmm. they came out. So, so come back in one week's time for our prequel, and in two weeks' time to hear us discuss the Hunger Games. And until that time. Guys, gals, non-binary, everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And, and keep, keep being, being awesome. awesome.